Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Recorded live. This morning, uh, we will be joined very soon by uh, Mr. Duke Cornwall. We already have Lee Crosby with us. Let me just say this. So I've already talked with you a little bit off air, and I try not to uh, to get myself too excited, but uh, I have to be very honest, people. I already like him. He's, he's my kind of guy in many ways. Uh, maybe born too late, you know. He's, he missed the golden age of the golden age of plague safety when they used to let you touch them. You know, they used to let you get your hands and your head and your knees and your forearms and whatever else you had in the old days. You could, you know, pretty much hit a guy with everything short of whipping out like a truck transaxle in the old days. Now, now they want you to be gentle. You know, they want you to guide guys to the ground with care, like a like a mother guiding a, a child to the ground. <laughs> learning to walk. But despite all the difficulties of playing, one of the most difficult positions to play, I think, in football, I think once you get beyond maybe quarterback and center, I think it might be the third hardest position to play just from a mental standpoint. All the things you have to know and watch and do to play the position well, and Lee does that. So welcome, Lee Crosby. Happy to be on the show today. This is a great thing, Lee. Fourth thing, I'm getting a chance to get to know you better. So that that's one thing that's great. And I just wanted to find out, obviously, more about how you and this great game found each other. And, of course, eventually we'll talk about your future, but right now we're going to talk a little about your past. Like so many guys I've run across, you've played multiple sports. Tell me about your early, you know, your childhood and sports you played and eventually how you, you discovered football and all that. Well, I started playing football when I was about four or five for uh, a little pop winning team, all because of my grandfather, who basically put me threw me in the fire at a young age, just because I was just always out there in the grass playing with the bigger guys, bigger kids, wrestling, playing around, running around, tackling everybody, and just decided it was just my time to uh, just sign me up for uh, little league football. And once he signed me up, I mean that was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. I mean, I went out on my first day with the T-bone face mask. Out there with like a number 44 or something like that. And they threw me in the fire for the tackling drill. And I went out and I basically hit the little boy so hard he started crying. Ever since then, I just <laughs> I just fell in love with the, I fell in love with the game. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like you. Okay, so <laughs> and you were you were like how old at the time? About like. Five, about five years old. I know back in wow. Baltimore, about five years old, they allowed you to throw equipment and start hitting at that time. <laughs> okay, got it, got it. And of course, mentioned Baltimore. That's a city that's produced a lot of athletes. I mean, you've got Calvert Hall, you've got a bunch of schools that have been known for years for putting out basketball, as well as football talent. 
you know, obviously, you know, Muggs, I watched Muggsy Bogues come up and a bunch yeah. of other guys, uh, you know. <laughs> what was it like growing up where you grew up? What was it like? Uh, it was tough. It was, it was mm-hmm. been, uh, growing up in Baltimore, but at the same time, I prepared you for the, uh, what's it going to be out there in the real, real world. Just going up there in Baltimore and just translating my game onto the football field, I mean, it really helped me a lot because, like, one, my attitude was different. I feel like once I go step on the, on the gridiron, I, I wasn't never scared of anything. I wasn't never scared of anybody. I wasn't scared to face whoever it was. He'd be six eight, three hundred fifty pound, but I just had a heart of a lion. I feel like no matter what, I can take you down, or I'm going to battle. I'm going to compete. And that's what I love. I will say this much about Baltimore athletes: no matter what their sport, I have noticed that they have that same sort of, you know, you want some, come get some. You know, I've noticed that. Yeah, I've noticed that. I have noticed. You know, people talk about silly. People talk about but I don't care where you're from. There's not too many places tougher. And you're from which part of Baltimore? I'm from East Baltimore. East Baltimore. Okay, got it, got it, got it. So who are some of the guys that came up around you? Because that's an area that's produced a fair amount of talent. Who are some of the guys that grew up in that area as well besides you? Uh, well, Sarah Jones of the, uh, the Patriots, Tavon Austin. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else was trying to think of? Uh, that's a lot of basketball players. Normally, basketball oh, it's a, normal, a bunch but, of basketball players. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> but it's, okay. oh, Trevor Williams—he playing for the uh, the Chargers right now. You have. Right. Uh, I'm trying to think of all the guys off the top of my head. Well, that's a good number. That's a decent number. That's a decent number. <laughs> yeah. And you'll think of some more. Don't worry, you'll think of some more. <laughs> but yeah, it's, so it's quite a few guys out there from Baltimore who's playing in the NFL right now. Oh, yes. Yes, there is. And so now, when you got to high school, obviously things change. I mean, you've been playing since you were practically a toddler. But tell me about your high school experience. Who coached you? Who were your your main rivals for your team and things like that? Uh, Well, my head coach was named George Petrides. And when I first got to high school, I played JV my first year because I was only about five, four, or something like that. So I didn't start going. I was a late bloomer. I didn't start going to like, my junior year. And that's yeah, I'm well, at least, you, at least you bloomed eventually. I'm still waiting for mine, Lee. <laughs> so it wasn't until my senior year where everything started falling in place, and I had, like, a big year for myself. And but rival schools happened to be – we played against Taylor Austin's dumb school, Dunbar, a lot. It's like, probably our second right. biggest rival, but our, our number one biggest rival team was a school called Polytech. Where we played them every year at the Baltimore Ravens Stadium. It's happened to be the second oldest game in the country right now, so that's a wow. big game right there. <laughs> now there's a fact I did not know. I love hearing facts like that. I believe I believe we've also been joined by Mr. Cornwell. Is that you, Juke? That is me. Okay, I'll be with you in just a moment. Um, so hold right there. That's that's so. You guys have been playing each other for over 100 years, if I'm, if I'm what I hear it yeah. correct. Is that right? Yes, it's real long. All the way back to, back, I think it's date back 19, the early 1900s is a, a long time. Yeah. <laughs> that is, wow, that is a great, that is a talk about history. That's fantastic. Yeah. Okay. And, of course, Mr. Cornwell. Yeah, go ahead. How you doing? How you That's doing? fine. So, yes, good to have you. So, Mr. Cornwell, you had an interesting 
introduction and early life when it comes to sports and athletics as well. Take me through your early life as an athlete. How did you get introduced to the sports that you played, and how did football eventually win your heart? Well, you know, when I was younger, um, my little brother played sports. You know, I didn't really pay attention to, to it too much until, you know, I decided, you know, I had to get into something. So my dad played for the Middletown Middies um, a while ago, and um, I, I fell in love with the game. Then, you know, he was telling me, you know, you, you look like you can play, you know, and I would play football with my brother and my friends. I um, would just play in the streets, you know, we would play the, the killer man game. And then uh, that's when I decided <laughs> yeah. I had to get into, you know, get into football. So that's how, when I eventually fell in love with it. Okay. And what other things did you play when you were growing up, Jake? Um, well, I played basketball a lot, you know, and then I didn't I figured I wasn't that good at it, so my freshman year of high school, uh, I decided I needed to play football, you know, and I played quarterback my freshman year and from then on I just, you know, decided, you know, I, this is something uh, that I would love to be doing professionally. Okay, got it. How did playing quarterback early in your football development, how did that change things and how did that help you to develop as a player? Well, when I was playing quarterback my freshman year, I looked up to a fellow teammate of mine. His name was Spencer Ware, who plays for the Kansas City Chiefs now. <laughs> yeah, familiar with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, he was just watching him play quarterback in high school. You know, he was he was amazing. You know, and it, it was something that I he was something that I looked up to. So I was like, man, you know, I gotta I gotta be like him. You know, because he was doing he was doing big things then. But then um, after my freshman year. I was going into my sophomore year, and he was a senior. I was like, well, you know, I'm not going to be playing. You know, I'm not going to be starting in front of this guy because <laughs> he's a he's a quarterback. So, you know, one of my receiver coaches, you know, he's decided, he's like, you know, you, we need the ball in your hands more, so we're going to, you know, make you play receiver. And uh, that was something I was open to, so I decided, you know, this, this is something I could be good at, and then I had some good success with it. Yeah, excellent. And – when you got to high school, who were the coaches that had the greatest impact on you? Who was the person that helped you? You mentioned your receiver coach. Was anybody else that helped um, you to develop as a player? Well, my coach, his name is uh, Vincent Harrison. You know, he was a he was a big time player at um, the University of Kentucky back in the nineties, I believe. And um, mm-hmm. he was just telling me, you know, this is, you know, I can see the, the potential in you, you know, to be something great. I was like, well, you know, I like, you know, I like the ball in my hands. You know, I, I would like having the ball in my hands. And with Spencer throwing me the ball, you know, me and him would have talks, you know, just saying that, you know, we could we could be a one and two combo. You know, he he's throwing it, also running it, and I'm, I'm catching it and running it. So it was something that that helped the team out, and it was something that I that I love doing. Okay, and one more question for you before I go back to to Lee. So it's good to have offense and defense representatives that can ask some questions of each other. Now, as you mentioned, you're playing with a you know four slash five starter who you ask player, a guy that almost every coach at a major college in the nation is aware of. How did that affect the team having a guy like a superstar base like Spencer Ware? Um, well, you know he didn't he didn't really he didn't really you know shy away from the spotlight, but he also didn't didn't make it seem like as he was the main star of the team, you know, he tried to help 
everyone else out as best as he could, which he did. And, um, you know, we all had some success then due to him. But, you know, he was never a selfish player at all. And um, mm. I just, you know, modeled after him. Okay. And then, Lee, you talked about how you were a late bloomer. I was a person that yeah. also was like five, three and a half when I started uh, high school. And unlike <laughs> you, I did not grow almost a foot. So, like I said, you may have bloomed late, but at least you bloomed. Uh, yeah. So tell me about tell me about working your way up the depth chart, you know, from a guy who's down here with these people above you to eventually becoming a starter. At New Mexico? Yeah, when you were in high school. Yes. Tell me about oh, working your way up the depth chart. Yep. Well, in high school, my junior year, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't start off the season starting. It was until uh, one of my teammates went down at my position, and they basically threw me in to fill his uh, place. And ever since then, they just kept me in. They liked what they seen, and they just rolled with it. And hey, it's been the best thing I can ever say that happened. You got it. Perfect. And you mentioned. You know, like I said, you have one of the oldest rivalries, second oldest yeah. rivalry in, in all of high school football. Can you tell me about maybe your most memorable game from your high school career, the one that sticks out in your mind? Uh, well, it was probably against a school called Emerson. It was a game. It was like the game before we went to the playoffs. So we beat them. We beat, have a higher seed. And that game I had probably the best game I ever had. I had like three interceptions that game. And that game, that's when I really felt like, okay, I could probably take this to the next level. And so I should just continue playing football because I love the game. And I feel like I'm really talented. So I was like, that's the game I really, I like, I really start believing in myself. So. Yeah, three interceptions is my career, basically, Lee. So, yeah, that's a pretty good game. <laughs> <laughs> okay, got it. <clears throat> And tell me about your recruitment process. When did you first start to hear from schools? Well, high school, like I didn't, I didn't really have the grades. Cause I didn't really know too much about the uh, recruitment process coming out. So I only really had nobody in my ear who can really like, help me through the whole situation. So basically, I took it upon myself after I graduated to basically start contacting junior colleges. And I eventually ended up in Utah with my cousin uh, at the school called Snow College for no, a few yeah. years, where we ended up playing and. Had a lot of tons of success. As in two years, I ended up getting offers from a bunch of schools uh, from junior college, and ended up eventually choosing New Mexico and made this place my home the past couple years. Well, let's let's not get to New Mexico. Yeah, let's roll back to Snow, Alex yeah. Smith, uh, Dan Saliamua. In fact, a bunch of Polynesian guys. Um, yeah, Franco <laughs> Mendehall, a whole bunch of yeah. Guys. Uh, right, Snow is a powerhouse for those who, I mean, yeah. it's funny where you find great junior colleges. You've got, you know, Mississippi with Northwest and Hines. You've got Kansas. It's just full of great junior college football for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, and then you've got Navarro down in Texas. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the Jayhawk Conference in Kansas, no offense to anybody else, is consistently yeah. probably the toughest conference in all the NGCAA. And then, as you said, Snow. For whatever reason, way in the middle of nowhere in Utah is this yeah, it definitely is. pro. It is in the middle of nowhere. I've been. I've been. I've scouted guys out there. It's like, you can't just go there. You don't go there by accident. you got to know where you're So hats off to anybody who finds their way out there, first of all. 
Uh, yeah, it, it, but but man, just churn it out. I mean, they are. I can't remember a year where snow hasn't been good. Yeah, they always been probably like top ten, top five in the nation every year. So they they were top tier program out there for junior college. So who were some of the guys that you played with or played against when you found yourself out there? Because that's like I said, it's a stacked uh, stacked team. Who who else is on that team with you, and who'd you play against uh, that caught your eye? We had a, we had a whole. A, Capri Bibbs, he's playing for the Broncos right now. Yes. Yep. We got Garrett Bowles, who uh, more like this. Uh, who's about to be a multi-billionaire, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we had another guy who played on his team named Sonny Tassini, who started, he was all-conference for Utah also this year. Uh, we had another guy named Damon Powell. We we had there's a tons of guys I can name, but. Yeah, oh, a, yeah you don't have to name the whole roster. I'm just saying who stood out. <laughs> yeah, basically, they were some of the guys who really stood out to me while I was there for my time being. Okay, got it. And then and back to you, Mr. Cornwell. You mentioned, obviously, you having Spencer Ware around. Did that help you to understand the recruiting process, seeing somebody go through it who's a little older than you? Yeah, just watching him go through the whole recruiting process, you know, it it opened my eyes to a lot, you know, to how the how the system works and everything. You know, I didn't unfortunately for me I didn't have the you know, the same success as he did, but you know, it really it really humbled me, you know, made me wanna, you know, go harder in what I did. Yeah, very few people have that kind of success, so don't feel too bad. So that's <laughs> that's a high level of success to shoot for. And uh, same question I asked earlier of uh, of Lee. Tell me about the most impressive guys. I mean, obviously Spencer Ware, but who else did you play either with or against while you were in high school that caught your attention? Um, also in high school, I played against uh, Jordan Hicks, who plays for the Eagles. Oh. Yep. Yeah, he, he was a he was a monster, you know. And uh, him and Spencer, when we played against each other, him and Spencer were going at it, you know. And uh, I was like, <laughs> I was amazed. <laughs> I was just saying, two grown men going back and forth. You know, they they both were playing pretty good. And I also played yeah. against a couple of, uh, other guys, um, like uh, Darius Hillary. He played for the Sycamore. Oh. He played for the Browns, and I played against Dad Stewart, who plays for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, yeah, a couple of other guys. You know, they they're they're pretty good too. So. Yeah. So you've seen NFL guys. You know what they look yeah. like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're a different breed. They're a little different from most of us. Uh, I remember this is when I first began to realize I probably was not going to have an NFL future. When we had a couple of tenth graders show up, and I thought they were transfer students from they were you know tenth graders from our school. I thought they were transfer students who were like seniors someplace else who transferred in. I'm looking at these two kids, and one of them was named Keith Goganis, one was named Matt Darby, and both of them played in the NFL for about ten years. And Keith went to Penn State with an All-American, and that went to um, UCLA with a consensus All-American. But I thought, it's like, where are you guys from? It's like Brandon Junior High School. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> and that's when I knew I was in trouble. And Matt played the same position as me, but in fact, he played linebacker. We were transitioning him to safety. And so I, it's sort of like when they talk about having to train your replacement, that's what it was for me. When I <laughs> saw the 10th grader who's, probably about six inches tall that I am, faster, stronger, everything more than I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, 
maybe I need to really make sure my grades are in good shape because I don't think I'm going to be getting it without paycheck. <laughs> so it made me feel good that the guy I lost my position to did go on to have a great college and, and very good pro career. But uh, but I realized in that moment, I think, like, uh, yeah, this might not be the future for me. If this is what they look like going forward, this might not work out for Agent Double O Soul here. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yes, it's good to uh, it's good to have that experience, seeing what NFL guys look like up close, because it's a freak show, man. I mean, if you just go to a practice, you're thinking to yourself, oh my God, I'm looking at the most athletic people in the world. How are there so many of them in one place at one time? Amazing. Okay, so now both of you guys are entering the recruitment process. For you, as you mentioned, Lee, you had to be a little creative in yours. What was yours like? You, how did you navigate the process and what things happened? When did you first start hear, hearing from schools and who did you hear from? Well, the um, first school I started hearing from was probably University of Utah. I was going into my first year. They started uh, talking to me. So with them, Utah State, Arizona State, I started hearing from a little bit from Missouri. So basically all, all these schools, that's my first year. So going to my second year, that's when I really started receiving my first scholarships when I really first I saw received my first scholarship from a D one double A school. I think it was uh I think it was like Texas Southern or in San Houston State. Uh so oh, so okay. that's received my first couple of scholarships and after that it's just like everything just started flowing in, going into my sophomore year and I ended up receiving an offer from like Fresno State, Wyoming, New Mexico. A lot of Mountain West schools end up offering me. And some schools from down south end up offering me too, but at the end of the day, I narrowed down to the West Coast. I want to stay West Coast, so I narrowed down to Fresno State, uh, Wyoming, and New Mexico. Now, and the funny thing, I ended up committing to Wyoming the night before signing day, but I ended up changing it that morning to New Mexico for some reason. I just like New Mexico was a better fit for me, and ever since then, <laughs> I've just been here. Okay. And same question to you, Juke. Tell me about. When did you first start to hear from schools, and how did you navigate the process? Um, well, my junior year, I started to get a you know a couple of letters from a couple of schools, but um, unfortunately, you know, it, it didn't it didn't pan out like I thought it would. So you know, after my senior year, I never heard from anyone else. And, you know, a couple teams were uh, asking me to walk on, like uh, Bowling Green State, and um. I was thinking, you know, well, I didn't know if I wanted to go there, you know. So uh, the end of started starting towards the um, the school year coming up, my dad knew someone that uh that went to Moorhead State University, and um he started talking to him, and uh, he got me in there, got me in with the coaches, and you know they took a look at my high school film, you know they they thought I would be a good fit for their offense, you know, with the the scheme that they ran. So that's where I eventually ended up going. Okay. And tell me about that offense. Tell and tell me about those coaches. Who'd you get closest to on the coaching staff, and what was it about that offense that made it such a great fit for you? Well, my um, head, the head coach there now, Coach Tenure, um, he was my position when I first came to Moorhead, and uh, I was a slot guy, so he was a, uh, was a receiver coach. And um, they ran the spread, and that's that's exactly what we ran in high school when I was at Princeton. So. It was like, you know, I would just be learning the same things over and over again. You know, I didn't really have to veer off too much into something different. So once I got there, it was like, you know, like 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 normal. You know, it was just like I never left. So when they ran the spread, you know, I was I was very comfortable with it. 
Okay. And you mentioned playing the slot, which used to be, frankly, not a super important position, but then about 20, right around a little over 20 years ago, you started to see slot receivers begin to emerge. And then I think one of the teams that really helped to popularize the position was the Patriots. Troy Brown, initially, people sort of forget how important Troy Brown, of course, Troy Brown did some of everything for the Patriots. He played corner for them at one point when they had a bunch of injuries at corner. He did some of everything. He was a return guy at first, terrific. Once again, a guy who did play some high school quarterback, a uh, kid who's from Florida but went to Marshall. Marshall used to have a, a real corridor of talent coming up from Florida up to Marshall. And, you know, obviously you had Randy Moss, who uh, was from West Virginia, but you had Randy Moss sort of, I mean, if you want to see true dominance, watch his college tape. Watch Randy Moss at Marshall. <laughs> man, man, talk about having no answer for somebody. Um, and frankly, they didn't have an answer for him at first we got to the NFL either. But uh, it was great to see how the slot position, which used to be kind of a, an afterthought, the first great slot receiver probably amongst them, he's called slot backs, in fact. He's called, he didn't even say slot receiver in the old days. He's slot back. Mm-hmm. Probably the first great one was a guy named Touchdown Tommy McDonald, who was a undersized running back from Oklahoma, and that's triple options. They didn't really throw the ball while he was in college, so no one knew if he could catch the ball, but he got, luckily, he got to the Eagles at the time when the genius of offense, Sid Gilman, if you want to read about one of the great offensive minds there should be game, read books about Sid Gilman, was there, and they had just traded for Norm Van Brockman from the Rams, and they proceeded to become one of the first great passing offenses, along with the Colts, uh, but amongst the first great, and, and you know, Browns and a few others, but it was a very run-centric game. It was a run-first era in the late 50s and early 60s. But they were one of the few teams that really would use the slot receiver. And sometimes they'd line up, um, they had a tight end who had been a fullback who'd gotten cut, was in the arm, got drafted in the Army two years, and then they picked him up, and he'd been the fullback in college and a fullback with the previous NFL teams he'd been with, but a guy who should be in the Hall of Fame named Pete Rettblatt, who was the first great receiving tight end. He was the first great receiving tight end, but they also played him in the slot, which was kind of a nothing position before this point, quite frankly. Uh, so the first great slot receivers were with those Eagles teams of that era, and the last Eagles team to win a championship, as any Philadelphia fan, I was born in Philadelphia, as any Philadelphia fan will tell you, that was the last great, well, not great, as in champions. They won in 1960. Uh, they beat the Lombardi Packers and, you know, won the championship in 1960 and have not won a championship in football at least since then. So a bit of a sore spot still in Philly, but let's move on. <laughs> uh, so the slot position, for those who don't understand what a slot receiver is in terms of what you do and how you're different from other players on the field, Mr. Cornwell, tell people what the slot receiver does and what kinds of routes you tend to run from that position. You know, what we are is um... – you know, we, we catch the ball, we, we run the ball, you know, we can line up inside, we can line up outside, and uh, a lot of routes that we run, a lot of crossing routes, uh, definitely one of my favorites, a lot of corner routes, um, a lot of shallow routes, you know, we, we run a lot of the short stuff, you know, just to get us in open space, that way we can, you know, make a play after we catch the ball. Yeah, it's it's a position where they try to I guess the old saying is you want to turn every single uh, pass reception into a punt return if you can. Mm-hmm, definitely. 
see. Who else has joined me? Who else has hopped on from the great state of Ohio? Could be my friend Ken Brett. Ken. If it's Ken, always glad to have you, Ken. If it's someone else, glad to have you as well. I'm, I was checking to see if you're one of my prospects. If you are, announce yourself. If not, and you're a listener, continue to listen. So we've gotten both of you guys finally to your college shows, right? Uh, one of you has found his way out to snow, which, as I said, is not easy to do. It is literally in the middle of nowhere. Um, and then while you were out at snow, tell me about how they used you there, what you learned, and how that positioned you when you made your jump to a four-year school. Uh, basically, snow, it was kind of it kind of helped me a lot because our head coach, Tyler Hughes, at the time, he basically ran the programs like a Division One program. So when I got to New Mexico, it was basically one of the – the same style, practice game, everything. But while I was in snow, I had some good coaches, one being Shane Hunter, who's the D-line coach and linebacker coach at the time, who was real close with. And he ended up going to University of Virginia, is now the D-line coach there. Mm -hmm. And my position yeah. coach, uh, Brandon Bradley, who is now coaching at DT school. And basically everything I learned from that position, I learned from him. Basically my man technique, zone technique. He basically taught me everything because I was basically new to the position. I only played decent back uh, basically my two years in high school. So I didn't really know too much about it until I got there to snow, and he basically taught me everything I knew. So he, he basically really prepared me for the next level. And I could be more thankful for him because he really helped me to this day. And everything I still do, I basically I learned from him. Well, that's a lot to learn, uh, as we pointed out a little earlier. Uh, you're asked to do a lot of things in the defense in which you played both at Snow and obviously later in New Mexico. So tell me about some of the responsibilities you had in that defense. What did they have you do? And you mentioned, obviously, you played some man and some zone. Tell me about some of the responsibilities you had in their scheme. Uh, at New Mexico, well, yeah, yeah. we went we at went 335 defense. We, First off, we ran 4-3 when I first got here, but we changed it to a 3-3-5. So when I first got here, I was playing corner. I was starting out as corner, but then when they changed the defense, they moved me to safety. That's because I was basically the one of the strongest guys and fastest guys on the team. And they knew how well – I mean, I love contact. I love hitting. So they feel like, oh, yeah. AC probably been a better position for me to play. And plus, they felt like I was probably one of the better cover guys now on the team. So we don't one of the 3 3 five. And they threw me at safety and nickel. I mean, I started off at, like, number doing the death chart, but, I mean, I ended up working my way up. Starting that spring, and, I, and I'm starting and eventually taking, taking everybody's spirals in front of me and going to that season. Uh, my first, I mean, my first game, I mean, my first game starting, we playing Mississippi State, my first ever game for New Mexico. I had a pick six. And ever since then, like, I don't know, it's just everything just fell in place, like, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to say. It's kind of hard to explain. But I'm like, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. Like, it just it's kind of different because I never pictured myself playing safety. I always thought I was gonna play, play corner. But ever since they moved that <laughs> position, like, I mean, I just fell in love with it now. So it's kind of crazy. So you and I have. I'm built like a corner, but unfortunately, I run like a safety. That's not the combination you want. You want it to be the other way around. You want to be built like a safety, run like a corner. That's not how it yeah. worked out for me, unfortunately. I was 
don't like a corner, run like a safety. That's not the combination. So that's why I'm doing what I'm doing instead of doing what you're doing. But take us through the differences because I don't think people realize. A lot of times people say, well, he runs for he runs for six. Let's just move the safety. I always don't understand how hard, how much more you have to do mentally to play safety. So tell me, people safety. who don't understand it, how different it is. Yeah, go ahead. Safety is basically you basically the quarterback of the defense. You make every call, you make all the checks, you make sure everybody's aligned right, you make sure everybody's communicating on the same page. So basically, safety they say linebacker is the guy who makes all the adjustments, but no, safety is basically the guy who makes every call, makes all the checks, everything out there on the defense because we can see the whole field. And when mm-hmm. we mess up, everything basically falls on us. And plus, we're the last line of defense. So a long run, they expect us to make a tackle. A long pass, if a blown coverage, they expect us to be there to help out the corner or whoever to who give up that play to make a uh, to make the stop. So safety is it's tough because you gotta know mm-hmm. so much. You gotta know the whole defense, the in and out well, from what everybody play, every position from the D line, from the front uh, front seven to the back end, and playing corner is different because basically. You're playing man or you're playing zone. It's not too many calls or things you got to do. You're basically listening out for what the safety probably gives you, what call or check he probably tell you to do. So, basically, like, safety is, without the doubt, the hardest position to play on defense. You got to be on your toes at all times. Cause you never know the uh, the quarterback he probably make a check. You got to be, be uh, prepared for it. You got to know what's coming at you. That's why you basically got to study more film other than the quarterback. You study more film. Anybody on the team other than the quarterback, mm-hmm. so I say yep. safety, yeah. It ain't easy how it look. You probably look, probably look <laughs> back there playing the back end, but the mental aspect of it is what's going to be, yeah, be tough on you. Yeah. Well, yeah, Earl Thomas and a few other guys, they make it look easy, but there's nothing easy about it. I try to tell people, it's, it's like if you're in a store, right, and they hire you to be the store detective, the store to security, you know, loss prevention, right? And yeah. If you're if you're a, if you're a, a corner, you just they say, hey, watch this particular area. Like we have a lot of expensive That's stuff it. here. Just watch this one area, right? Hey, that guy mm-hmm. looks suspicious. Follow him. Yeah, that guy. The last time that guy was in here, a bunch of nice digital cameras disappeared. Follow that guy. That's playing corner. Now, when you get hired, they bring you out to play safety. You're sitting in a control room, right? Watching all these yeah. monitors. <laughs> you got to monitor the whole building. If anything happens, anywhere, you have to respond. Yep. That's what the life of a safety is like. And I, hats off to anybody who can play the game of safe, playing safety at a high level. So, so back to you, Mr. Cornwell. You mentioned that you fell, not fell into, but found with some help from, you know, friends, family, et cetera, a situation where you actually got a chance to shine. Tell me about some of the things that helped you to continue to develop and grow as a player. What well, you got some there? of those things were, um, you know, being in touch with, you know, some of the players that that have uh, that have played before me that have been great. You know, like when I when I got to Moorhead a couple of years when I was there, um, we had Andre Woodson come in and be our receiver coach. <laughs> and, I mean, That's pretty good. The guy, the, the guy is amazing. You know, he 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 coaches like he like he plays. You know, he mm-hmm. he's a, he's demanding. You know, he wants the best for you. So what he really did was he, he opened my eyes to a, to a lot of the things, you know, about life and, you know, how how I could become a better person, you know, and a better football player, you know, and him coaching me, you know, helped me 
progressed a lot. You know, he taught me the little things that I need to know when it comes to route stems and, you know, when do I need to break off my route, how fast do I need to run this route, you know, when do I need to get open, when do I need to help my other teammates get open, you know, and he helped me a lot with that. Yeah, that's that's a name that is very near and dear to me. I was a huge <laughs> Woodson fan. I if if anyone out there was reading my stuff, uh, I had him neck and neck, like QB one, QB two, QB QB one A, QB one B, basically in my rankings that year going into the draft were Matt Ryan and Andre Woodson. I loved, and people say <laughs> that's like, no, I love Andre Woodson. Back off. <laughs> and I had been a fan of his before, but he, he took a big jump between his junior and senior year and really developed as a quarterback. I saw and he's a he's a DC guy, speaking of, of uh you know, Maryland, or whatever, he's a he's a DC area guy. Mm-hmm. So I'd been aware of him, you know, from high school onward. And I saw him really take a big jump forward. I think he went to G. Carter Woodson. Um, if you can ask him, if you can just let me speak to him, I think I'm remembering correctly which school that was in high school. But I saw him really develop. And the game that sold me, like the game where I was like, yes, I'm all in on Andre Woodson, was I saw him, and not to say his Kentucky team wasn't a good team, but they were nowhere near as talented as LSU. And he led them in a, a terrific game against LSU, beat LSU. I think it was at the small, you know, in LSU, which is not an easy place to win, if memory serves me correctly. And he carved them up. And there's a team that had five or six. NFL guys on it, on defense, yeah. on defense alone. He carved them up, man, carved them up. If, I, I'm sure he has that tape somewhere. If I were him, I would I would be buried with that tape. I would go everywhere <laughs> with that tape. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding, man. He carved them, and they were blitzing him. They were doing everything they could to try to knock him out. But he carved them up. He put a dagger right in their heart. Yeah, he did. He was. He was he was amazing. You know, he showed us a lot of his you know, his film and he just he's just so composed with everything, you know, and that's what mm-hmm. one thing he tried to teach us. You know, he taught us, you know, not to get overwhelmed and don't panic when things start to go wrong. You know, just stay composed. And, you know, if you do what you need to do, everything will go in your favor. Now, do you know where he's coaching now? Um, I believe he is um he's doing some networking, some uh talk show stuff, I believe, with the SEC oh, network. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, I hope he gets back into, into coaching at some point. And I hope eventually he's does quarterback coaching because I think he will be terrific at coaching quarterbacks. Yes. I, yes. Like I said, I, my love for Andre Woodson is it won't, simply won't leave me alone. So if you stay, next time you talk to him, you can let him know you, that in the draft community, uh, you spoke to probably the biggest Andre Woodson fan on the planet Earth. Man, I got in so many fights with my friends about Andre Woodson. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how can you rank him that high? That would break up the LSU game. <laughs> yeah, tell, tell them to watch the film, and they'll know why. Exactly. That's what I said. Like, throw this on. And this is an LSU team that had, uh, I think, Minter, Kevin Minter. I mean, they, they were pretty low. I don't remember who all was on that team, but it was it had a good – between, like, the first two guys on the defensive, defensive depth chart, there were six or seven future NFL starters on that defense. And he just – they had nothing for him that game. And he went something like, he went something like 36 for 40 or 
38 or something. I mean, not 38. This is why I went 40-something. It was like 36 for 44 or something, like at just 380-something yards, four touchdowns. I mean, he just uh, – yeah, he, okay, broke some, he broke some records that year, I believe. Oh, he he went off. He broke a bunch of Tim Couch's records. But, yes. Yeah, I was, like I said, I was all over Andre Woodson. <laughs> so, enough about my love for Andre Woodson. Uh, let's move forward. So, you have both fought your way up the depth chart. Obviously, when you're a junior college guy and you show up at a four-year school, everyone wants to look, you know, you know how people look at you like, oh, you know, you were a behavior guy or you had bad grades or, you know, how people judge junior college players, uh, Lee. Yeah. Now, now, the good news is that New Mexico has a long tradition of being open to junior college guys. Some programs, they don't like junior college guys. You know, some yeah. some programs, they look down on you. What was what was it like making that jump? You said you were prepared from a mental standpoint because you ran a pretty demanding, and you did run a pretty demanding uh, college um, junior college defense, but what was what was the adjustment like for you? I mean, it was tough, tough uh, playing in the snow. But we didn't really have too many coverage boys down. We played a lot of man and playing mm-hmm. corner, as you might as well know. Like everything is just so simple. So coming here, it was kind of tough because mm-hmm. um, basically it wasn't the pace of the game. It was basically the, as I said, the mental aspect of it, learning a whole new style, whole new defense, and plus going against a our offense was basically one option that I never seen before. It was, it was kind <laughs> most of people have it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So going against that every day, if basically it can have a a way on you. So it was it was tough. Like it was a tough adjustment from the mental aspect of it. My first year, so I ended up redshirting that year. That's because everything I just wasn't moving as fast as I would want to because my mind was just racing everywhere all over the place because I didn't I just wasn't catching up fast enough. I was catching on things, basically going to get the offense like ours, where basically our defense and passing against them, you basically got there's certain things that you got to understand, certain things you got to learn. Everything you got is just you got to be at the right place at the right time. You got to do your job, and that's one thing I wasn't learning because our offense they run a unique type option offense. <laughs> yeah. country, and so going against that, you understand how difficult it is to pick up everything at. at uh, how fast they want you to in a certain amount of time. Because I'm old, I grew up watching a lot of triple option. Oklahoma, yeah. which was, you know, a national championship contender virtually every year in those days ran triple option. Texas in those days ran triple option. And Nebraska ran a very interesting version of triple option because they actually would throw the ball a little bit on top of it. They had a quarterback when I first started watching the game you know, I'm a million years old, named Jerry Taggy, who got drafted, I think, in the fourth or fifth round by the Raiders and hung around for a few years. But yeah. the player that I loved, that I loved on that team was their wingback, a kid named Johnny Rogers, who won the Heisman in 72. Wow. And, oh, God, was, yeah, I'm old, I told you. But, uh, <laughs> but, man, was he, <laughs> but, yeah, but, man, was he fun to watch. I've been watching football since 1970, so I'm a million years old. But, uh, he was so fun to watch. But this is, once again, before the slot receiver um, really emerged. So if he came along now, if Johnny Rogers came along now, he would go into the NFL as a slot receiver and have a nice career. But in 1972, yeah. slot receivers were basically backups or, like, guys who weren't quite good enough to play on the outside, and they weren't a featured part of anybody's offense. So he floundered around the league, special teams for about six, seven years, and really never made an impact as a player. That would be very different now because they now know how to use the space player. Guys like Darren Sproles and Percy Harvin and 
Wes Welker and Julian Edelman and, you know, the list goes on and on yeah. nowadays. You know, but in those days, you know, they didn't, like, well, what do we do with this guy? Well, now they know, you know, guys like Sean Payton <laughs> know what to do with you nowadays. <laughs> guys like Andy Reid know what to do with, you know, the sort of quick undersized guy. Now, I'm going to assume that with a nickname like Juke, you must be fairly quick, Mr. Cornwell. How did you get that name? Well, it started in uh, a day during practice during a camp <laughs> my freshman year. One mm-hmm. of my teammates, uh, another receiver, teammate of mine, you know, he was like, I was uh, running a route or whatever, you know, and I made a couple guys miss after I caught the ball. And he made the comment. He was like, man, is, is that you just going to juke them all day, huh? I was like, I said, I guess so. So then the, the day after that, you know, he would just come in the locker room calling me Juke, calling me Juke. And then since then, you know, my whole team would just call me by that name and it just kind of stuck with me. Okay. And is that something you've just naturally always had or is it something you've worked on in terms of your elusiveness and ability to make people miss in, in, um, in tight quarters? Yeah, it's something that um, I definitely worked on and uh, something I definitely – watched from a lot of the NFL players that you mentioned, such as like Percy Harvin and Wes Welker and, you know, and uh, it's funny that you mentioned it. Um, I used to have, uh, I used to have a, a player card of uh, Troy Brown. So yeah, I've been, oh. I've been watching him as well, you know, back then. That's a really good guy to look up to, man. Cause first of all, football IQ on a million. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think people really understand. Go back and look at that season. Was it 2005? Don't quote me on that. But they had just a rash of injuries at defensive back. And you know, like I said, Troy Brown, heck of a player. But, you know, you, you have to realize at the NFL level, you don't just ask guys to jump from offense to defense in the season. Rest them <laughs> on the offseason. That's the thing I want to make sure I, I explain. Not in the offseason. We're not talking about J- June. We're not talking about July. We're talking about, like, October. Right? We're talking about, you know, four or five, six games into the season. You say, hey, Troy, can you? He's already in special teams meetings and offensive meetings because he's on a couple of special teams units and, of course, obviously on offense. So now, I mean, imagine, and this is in one of the most complex, this may be probably the most complex system in terms of mental load in all the NFL. Belichick system is crazy. People, there have been guys who failed to make that team just because the playbook literally ran them insane. Ask Brandon Merriweather. If you ever spread across him about what it was like trying to play for Bill Belichick. Chad, Chad, Osho, Senko, Johnson, whatever, he couldn't do it. Here's a guy who's, you know, been to the Pro Bowl six, seven times, couldn't handle their offense, couldn't, couldn't learn their offense. So that's why he didn't have a successful career with the Patriots. But getting back to, um, so, you know, Troy, can, you know, can we see you for a second? You know, it's like, well, you know, what do you want me to do now? He's already on special, he's already on offense. Hey, can you come to these defensive meetings? You know, we really could use you as our third quarter because we've had a rash of injuries. I mean, think about what that's like. He's got basically, you know, a practice week to, to learn enough. To, now, they didn't play him, you know, every snap, obviously, because then he would. Because, one, they couldn't have played him on offensive special teams if they did that. But, two, you know, just, the, I mean, I can't imagine. I cannot imagine what it must be like you know, almost halfway through the season, have someone call you and say, hey, could you grab this defensive playbook to go with that giant, you know, 200-some-odd-page offensive playbook? Yeah, 222-page <laughs> offensive playbook already. Oh, and you're on special teams. Oh, here's the defensive playbook. So 
I don't think people realize what an amazingly important part of that team Troy Brown was. That's a great guy to gravitate yeah. towards. Once again, a guy that nobody saw coming. It wasn't like people were like, oh, yeah, Troy Brown, he's a killer. You know, when he came into the league, like, oh, yeah, special team. You know? <laughs> uh, he ended up having a really amazing career. Did a lot of different things. That's the guy I would hire to coach for me. Oh, anyway, man. When... <laughs> it's an amazing career. Are you here in the bathroom, ain't you? That's okay. I'm gonna brush right after. Now, I'm gonna come back to you for a moment, Lee. What changed between your junior and senior year in terms of what your challenges were and what you wanted to accomplish in your final year of college football? Uh, basically, the game slowed down way much more for me. I basically knew the whole scheme of our defense and everything like that. So coming to my my senior year, I basically just wanted to build off the success that I had my junior year. More like I want my team to have a lot of success also. So I knew we was one game short from playing the conference championship uh, my junior year. And the same well, the same thing ended up happening our senior year too. So coming to my for my junior and my senior year, I just wanted just to build up the, the success and momentum that we had as a team and I had as a personal player as myself. Okay. Same question for you, Mr. Cornwell. What were your goals? What things did you want to accomplish coming into that your final year, your last chance to be a collegiate? Uh, well, you know, after my junior year, I was, um, you know, a first-team all-conference guy as a return specialist. And um, one thing that I wanted to just emphasize was that I'm not just only a return specialist, but I'm a, I'm a receiver, first and foremost. So that year, you know, I wanted to, you know, just show people that, you know, that I can play receiver, you know, from anywhere on the field. And and um, also my senior year, you know, we had we had 19 seniors on the team. So we were, you know, we were, we were pretty much staffed and we, you know, we knew what we needed to do. And like like he said there, you know, we, we also fell short, you know, one game of being conference champions. You know, we had a record of seven and four, which is the best we had in the program in the last 10 years, I believe. So it was a you know it was a big thing to just you know leave leave my mark there before I left the school. Okay. Does um does Phil Sims ever still come around? Yeah, actually, yeah, Phil Sims did come down um, my senior year. He came down for a you know a banquet, and um he also you know donated to the school as well. So yeah, it was it was great seeing great seeing him there. You know, it's funny, once again, because I'm a million years old, I remember when he came out. Um, and he was a guy that a lot of people writ, wrote off at one point as a uh, as a bust. He was injured a great deal early in his career. And once again, just a, a guy who's from a quote-unquote smaller school. And this is at a time when, this is, once again, there's no ESPN, there's no Internet. <laughs> so... When people and this is New York, right? So he gets drafted. People are like, "Who? From where?" And they were <laughs> mad. I mean, I'm just kidding. Mad, like mad. Like there were columns like, "Who is this? What? Why?" They would bring up all these other quarterbacks from you know Colorado and USC and whatever. Why are we drafting this? Never even heard of this guy, you know. <laughs> so yes, people were not thrilled with Phil Sims being the selection. Uh-huh. I once again ask anybody if you have older relatives who are big football fans. I mean, New York football fans are not patient human beings anyway. 
And now some guys me, they're not. They're not. But now literally that I've never heard of. They've never once again, no ESPN, no no internet, no I mean, there's no path to the draft and all that stuff is around in those days. No NFL network. You know, this is almost forty years ago. And yes, people were mad. Forehead State, where is that? So um, but once again, more proof that, you know, guys can come from wherever as long as you can play. Okay. So Let's delve deeper into that senior year. I'll stick with you for a moment, Mr. Cornwell. So your team accomplished some goals. What were some of the goals that you had also set for yourself, and did you accomplish them? Um, well, you know, I, I set a couple, you know, records there at the school for just, you know, the way I played in games. You know, I tied the school record for um, the most receiving touchdowns in the game. You know, I tied it twice, actually, that year, and um, with three in the game. Um it was a it was a big thing for me, you know, because I was, you know, I was never, you know, a guy that, you know, that would be all in the news or anything like that. But just being able to, you know, do those things for my team and also for myself, you know, letting me know that, you know, it's it's possible, you know, anything is possible. So um, I just, you know, prided myself, you know, being the best player and person I could be, you know, especially my senior year. I got it. And I'll jump back to you, Lee. Talk about the goals that the seniors, the leaders on the team set for that, that year you guys finished. What were the things you guys wanted to accomplish, and how do you think you guys measured up to what you set as your goals? One, we won the finish conference championship and individual chance, which we tied for uh, first in our division. But we we didn't we fell short of making it to a conference championship, like I said earlier. But right. for the most part, we just wanted to – so everybody that the Mexico program who had a bad history of losing for a long time, long, long time before Coach Bob Davey got there. So we just right. want look, we just want to finish out strong and just go out and show like we basically changed this program around to being a, a team that was known as losing to being winners now. And we finished what finished nine and four this year, which I feel like we should have won more. But I mean we still <laughs> finished strong. We showed a lot of people out there that New Mexico football is not the joke that everybody used to think of now. Like now they are a team that you should respect. And that's like we did, we went out there and did what we are set to accomplish. You changed the program around. Well, this one, I'm, say that again? Yeah. It's, I was going to say, it's interesting you mentioned that because there were people who asked Bob Davey almost to his face, um, are you crazy when you took that job? There were people wondering, yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> You know, he was yeah. one of the most respected defensive coordinators in the world at one point in college football. He built that, uh, what they call the wrecking crew. Yeah. He was coaching down at Texas A&M. Once again, if you want to see a fun defense to watch, um, if you ever throw it on tape of those boys, <laughs> they had a linebacker I loved named John Roper. Oh, my gosh. I'm such a big John Roper fan. <laughs> but, yes, uh <laughs> That's that was a rough defense, man. He coached back those things. Yeah, once again, you can hit people with those things. <laughs> and you mentioned the offense you guys run, and I wanted to come back to that for just a moment because, as you said, triple option, but triple option with some bells and whistles. Tell me about what it was like facing that offense as a defensive player, and what kind of stress it puts on. Oh, uh, it was it was it was difficult because they wasn't the other center type, but normal basic triple option. They kind of have a unique style to them where it was like a spread triple option, basically the only team in the country to run this type of offense. So 
going mm-hmm. against them, it was kind of crazy because there's so many keys that you had, so many op- offensive keys you got to have from a defensive standpoint that make sure you in your right spot because is see the defensive line jump outside his gap or me overrun the play, that's a touchdown. You're going to get a yep. touchdown no matter what. Or if you think they're coming out the crap block you as it's the wide receiver, but he'll take off downfield and the QB will pull it and throw it down for a touchdown. I've seen it happen many times in the games, and the same thing happened in practice. So it was difficult from a defensive standpoint and from a defensive player to go against, but it prepares you for the most – it prepares you for the most because you learn a lot from playing against the option defense. So when it change time, game time, they're going to get a normal-style, post-style, or square offense, it was simple. It was, like, so simple. Like, everything was – basically, you – it wasn't nothing like going against the option. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of the differences, obviously, because when I was coming up, we ran split-back beer in high school. We ran split-back beer. We faced a lot of teams that ran either wishbone or, you know, like I said, uh, some form of beer or, you know, some teams are just straight power eye. Uh, but we didn't see all this spread them and shred them stuff in my day. It was a very different yeah. game. <laughs> the game was played between the tackles for the most part in my day. Our quarterback led our entire uh, district in passing with 1,156 yards passing. So I'll give you an idea <laughs> what, the, what the game was like 40-some-odd <laughs> years. Well, not 40. I'm exaggerating. It was 30-some-odd years ago. But a little, little different, a little different game. And now, you know, Jake Browning might do that in a game in high school. I mean, he did, God, the way they throw the ball down. It's exciting and it's fun, but, but you know, they don't want safeties to thrive anymore, Lee. They don't want you to, they don't want, you, they don't want safeties to live and have good, and have yeah. fun. They, they're putting you in a little teeny tiny box. Uh, and now slot receivers get to frolic without fear of, you know, guys mean big safeties like Lee knocking their heads off, what they used to do all the time <laughs> in the old days. You know, so you, for you, Lee, you were born at the wrong time, but for you, Mr. Corwell, you were born at the right time. Uh, <laughs> now, talk to me a little bit about, like, the postseason. So heading towards, uh, for you, obviously, for one of you, you, did, you got the bowl games uh, that you got to play in. That's a great thing, obviously. But when you start hearing about, say, all-star game opportunities and things like that, so I'll, go, I'll start with you, Mr. Cornwell. When did you start to hear about maybe getting a chance to play in all-star games and things like that? Um, well, after after my senior year, you know, I got invited to a, a couple ball games. And um, one that stood out to me was the uh, Dream Bowl, which is in uh, Virginia Beach. So um, I got in touch with the, the guys there, and uh, we set everything up to have me come down there. And uh, when I went down there, I'll tell you now it was it was freezing. It was it was freezing cold, but um, it was a it was a great experience. You know, all, all the guys there they were they were very humble. You know, and um, it was a great experience for me. You know, I I, I played well in the game, and um, it was you know it was something I, I'll never forget. Right. And the same question for you. Now, obviously, you had postseason experience playing in your bowl game, but tell yeah. me about opportunities to play in all-star games and the other things that played out for you as you came towards the end of your, your last season? Uh, it was, I had the opportunity to play in a tropical bowl. So it was basically a great experience to uh, go down there and play against guys from the SEC, the ACC, basically the Power 5 schools, and basically see where you stand at amongst them and 
it was a great opportunity. It was me and one of my one of, uh one else of my teammates who also went down there with me. And we just showed like basically no matter what uh school you come from, what conference, division, I don't care, division one, two or three. As long as you just got there and compete, you compete against amongst anybody. That power five, group of five, division level, it really doesn't matter what school you come from, just and they they just us competition, football is football at the end of the day. Okay. And when you get into, as you said, the all-star game opportunities, obviously that's to simplify things because you guys really only have about three real practices before you, uh, you know, you have a walkthrough and then about three kind of real practices and one more walkthrough and then boom, you're playing. Uh, yeah. So everything happens very fast. But who are some of the players that stood out to you at the Tropical Bowl? Who were some of the guys you noticed uh, that would uh, be on offense or defense caught your eye? Uh, one, the tight end from Tennessee named Jason Kroon. Him. There was another wide receiver who used to play at Utah State named JoJo Natson. Uh, who else? Oh, it was another safety from uh, University of Georgia named Quincy Margaret. I don't know if I said last name, Margaret or something like that. Quincy Margaret, yes. Yes. Yeah, him. And I say there's they three guys who really stood out to me for the most part because I didn't get to see the other team practice or nothing like that, but from my standpoint, from on my team, my side of the bar, the guys that I went against and that was on my on my team, they're the ones who really stood out to me. Okay, perfect. And same question to you, obviously about your bowl game. Who are some of the guys that caught your eye, Mr. Cornwell? Who stood out to you? Um, well, one of the uh, the receivers that I played with um, that went to Grambling State, his name was uh, Chester Rogers. He, um, oh yes, that guy. He's 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 good. <laughs> uh, and well, um, yeah, he's he, he's a cult now. If memory serves it correctly. Yes, sir. He is. And uh, yeah, he's a he's a good guy to play with. You know, like I was telling you that that everybody there was uh was humbling. You know, they they came in there and just took you in like you were family. And um, another guy that I really stood out to me was uh his name is Silas Nasita, that uh went to uh Baylor. Uh, he was a running back there for Baylor. You know, he was telling us his story. You know, he's he's been through it all, and um, he really, he really, you know, told us that you know anything is possible through God, and we all took that in. And it, uh, I'll never forget, you know, the things that he said to us there. You know, and it, you know, as it translated to the field, you know, it helped us, you know, get a victory as well. Okay, got it, got it. Okay, and. In terms of preparing for the next level, mental and physical preparation. In the old days, once again, you would just, you know, work out with your track coach a little bit to try to learn a little bit how to run a 40, maybe. That would be it. You wouldn't go anyplace special. You wouldn't change your diet, none of that stuff. Now it's an entire industry has sprung up in the last, just I think about around 30 or so years. For you, I'll stick with you for the moment, too. What did you decide to do, and when did you decide to start preparing for your opportunities in terms of things like, you know, regional well, combines or pro days? Well, since the uh, Dream Bowl was in uh, January, um, late January, I know that as soon as that ended, you know, I had to I had to get ready for, you know, my pro day and whatnot. Um, I had got into Eastern Kentucky's pro day, you know, sort of at the last minute. Excellent. and um I didn't I didn't do as well as I as I should have 
you know, and I think that uh, that hurt me for the for the most part. You know, I was a little mm-hmm. undersized, and uh, my numbers weren't as good as they should have been. But um, since now, I was, now, what exactly out, is your, your what exactly is your height and weight? Oh, uh, now I'm I'm five eleven, one eighty five. Um, last year I was five eleven. I was one sixty eight, trying to do a pro day, and uh, it didn't start out for me like I thought it would. But, uh, since right, I've been out I get it. Yeah. I've had right, right. Yeah, unfortunately, if you show up someplace 5'11", 168, they'll ask you things like, where's your big brother? Uh, <laughs> things like that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I mean, it should be pointed out that Deshaun Watson was 169 pounds at the combine, but he ran, you know, like 438 or whatever. So it helps <laughs> if you can do that, you know, <laughs> if you do that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, they don't generally like numbers less than I mean, they don't they don't get thrilled about one eighty because they get you know, let alone one sixty eight. So yes, yes. You so it sounds like you've worked on building up your strength and you know, putting on good weight. Definitely. Okay. And then, you know, Lee, obviously a little more of an imposing physical physical specimen. I think you said you're coming in at right around six one, two oh two? No, five eleven, two oh two. Five eleven two oh two. Okay, that's right. Five eleven two. Okay. Yeah, that's that's actually that's like perfect basically. That's the almost the ideal safety body. Um you know, that's that's what they're looking for. And you had a pretty good day. Um now yeah. did you do did you do any of the regional combines or did you just do, your, do a pro day? Well I just did my pro day. That's fine. And you had a if memory serves me, you said you had a pretty good day at the office. Was that a you said a thirty seven inch vertical? Yeah. Yeah, that's solid. Uh do you know what you did in the broad jump? Uh, the ball jump, I hit a nine nine, but I was hitting like ten threes and higher, but I just couldn't. I didn't like I kept falling back, so they kept scratching. So my last right. jump, I just hit a nine nine. So, but it was still good though for me. I didn't really, it didn't really matter to me. No, that's fine. I mean, if if you're around ten feet, yeah, you know, a few inches either direction. That, but if, that that's what they're looking for basically at your position, somewhere around that. And do you know what you might have done for the short shuttle and three cone? Uh, for the three cone, it was like a six nine or a seven, and for the uh, for the short shuttle, it was like a four or five. But I had slipped. But for the most part, like even though I did them times, I still I wasn't the best I can say because the night before I had caught full poison. I was throwing up the whole night before. Oh. But, oh no. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I still can't. I still I was still satisfied what what I did so. Now, please don't take this the wrong way, but what, what, what the heck were you eating the day before one of the most important days of your life that would give you food poisoning? Uh, I went to you guys trying to keep it simple. I went to the store and I bought like uh, one of the little rotisserie chickens that they have out. And oh. it, yeah, it probably was out for too long. And oh. I went home and ate it that night, and that was the worst decision I ever made. Whew. Man. That is tough. But you don't want to be getting no, – that's not an experiment. You want to eat the exact same thing you've been eating when you're about to – Yeah. Don't, don't, get, don't get adventurous, Lee, before you're pro day. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, I'm glad you came through it okay. And, you know, who knows if you might have done it at a full – full. because you said you did – that was a big confirm this. You did 24 reps. Did again? On the bench. And just want to confirm that I heard correctly. You did 24 reps on the bench. Yeah, I was shooting for 30, but I wasn't feeling up to fall that day. Stop, stop yeah. yourself shooting for 30. We're going to play tackle. 
No, I mean, yeah, I'm just like, I'm crazy just man. Call like that. <laughs> Shooting for 30. <laughs> crazy talk. 24 is ridiculous for a defensive yeah. back. I don't know what you, what's wrong with you, 30. Stop yourself. You don't need, nobody needs to do 30 reps. <laughs> I mean, because, like, the week before my pro day, I hit 29. So I was like, okay, like, coming from my pro day, I could probably do 30. <laughs> that, there's, not, there's something wrong with that. That is not right for a 202-pound man to be able to do 25 reps. That's just <laughs> Stupid. There's no reason. None. Yeah. Go do something else with your time. You don't need to be bench pressing that much. That's good Lord, <laughs> man. <laughs> I mean, literally, there's defensive tackles that would love to do 29 reps. 30. Go away. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and you mentioned that you had, you had a few NFL teams that came out. Uh, roll yeah. me through some of the teams that came and what kind of interactions did you have with them? It was good. It was like when I was doing testing, they was like they was it was like encouraging me because they seen how basically they they know I was talented enough and I was like a explosive athlete. So they they was out there encouraging me a lot, especially doing the, the vertical uh, jump, the ball jump. They was like, oh, I know you could do better than that, like stuff like that. So it was like, definitely a good experience. Good. And you said the the Cardinals kind of pulled you aside afterwards. Yeah, they was talking to me for a little bit. Was it just basic information questions, or did they ask yeah, you just, football questions? Basically, basically background and stuff like that. Basically, I guess, like, just trying to get to know me, get a feel for me, what type of person I am. Okay. And I think uh, the person that our next block just hopped on, is that you, Damien? Somebody uh, hopped on. I mean, Darian, so I'm sorry. Yes. Okay, hold on for me. Yes, there we go. Thank you. Hold on for me, please. Now, I'm going to ask my final questions of uh, the guys in the in the previous block, and then I will come to you, Gary. Now, both of you are guys that are looked at as, obviously, you know, the free agent path, most likely. And frankly, Lee, I think you deserve to be drafted, but it's a really deep class at your position, yeah. which it wasn't last year. Last year, the safety crop was kind of, but this year, you know, there's a lot of really good safeties. I'd love to see you get drafted, but just being realistically speaking, I, I think you're probably going to be a priority undrafted free agent. And I think one of those three teams that came to see you, particularly, like I said, one of those teams, I think is probably going to call you. This is sort of walking through how this process works. When draft day rolls around, right, first day of the draft, They've practiced. I mean, literally, teams go through mock drafts. I mean, similar to the various talking heads out there, they try to figure out who's likely to be on the board in the first three rounds, you know, things like that. They've gone through a lot. They've done different scenarios. Well, if this guy's there, we'll do this, and we'll move up if we need to do that. And all, they go through all stuff. They practice a lot, especially for the first three rounds. And then in the middle rounds, they work through it a little bit, but not as much work. In the last round six, round seven, and the undrafted agreement signing period, that really belongs to the scouts. The GM, yeah. the front office guys, they really run, you know, the first five or so rounds of the draft. They really do. They take control of that. Then it gets later. They don't know these guys as well, so the scouts become more and more important as you get to the guys who are going at the latter part of day three and in the undrafted signing period. So when they gather information, they want to make sure, hey, who's, 
what's your agent's number, what's your number. They want to know the stuff. So, you know, it's a, it's a war. You know what I mean? Like at the draft, everyone knows who they're getting. I mean, because you're getting that guy. You put your name in. This is the guy we want. You're getting that guy. But once you get to what I call the eighth round, the undrafted free agent signing period, that's just a free-for-all. Twelve teams may call you at exactly the same moment. They may all be trying to come in at the same time. Your agent or you or whoever might all get boo 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 like this call comes in, then one right after, one right after, one right after. And so you have to figure out, and the teams are saying, you know, we need to, because it's, it's a race, basically, because if they don't get you, if they're, you're thinking of hemming and hawing, and then you end up saying no, there's another kid they wanted to call who they're missing out on because they could be talking to him instead of you. So yes or no, and out, what do you want? And so it happens very quickly. Well, how, here's how much we have. We can give you 15. We can give you 30, right? They're, they're throwing numbers at you. And you're like, you don't know what, once again, unless you've already studied this, you don't know what fair is for a signing bonus you're trying to figure out. Plus, is that team a good situation? What kind of defense they run? What kind of coaches, you know, what kind of coaches do they have? It's a good situation. So you're trying to figure all this out very quickly. It's not like the yeah. draft. It's the opposite. It's now you're drafting the team. It's supposed to the team drafting you. So it's, so it's flipped on its head. Very confusing in fact, sometimes. So it's good to, for you as a player to look at, study the team. If you haven't already done this, pull up the team's website. Look at their depth chart. I mean, you're, maybe your agent's already done this. Whoever it's done. Somebody should do this. What kind of guys do they like? Who do they have? Who's under contract? Who's hurt? Who's getting old? So that when this happens, because it's going to be a frenzy, you already know, here's my short list. Here's my top five team, right? Here's my top five. If one of these teams calls me and they offer me at least X amount, I'll just say yes. I'm going there if it's one of these teams. And then you have your list below that. Like, okay, these aren't my top five or three or whatever, but these are my teams right after that. Maybe if they offer me a little more or maybe if such and such happens, I prefer to go here, but these are still good teams. And then after that, yeah. it's just, you know, whoever, whoever's left. <laughs> At that point. Okay, if it's not one of these teams, not one of these teams, then, you know, now it's like, well, this is a great situation, but I'll fight through it. And then the last thing I'm going to talk to you guys about, obviously, special teams. Now, Mr. Cornwell, you have a special teams background. Tell people about what you've done before in special teams. Oh, well, uh, I played, uh, I've played punt return and kick return. And, uh, you know, I, I love I love doing it. You know, it's, it's what, you know, makes me who I am as, as a player. And, uh, you know, I was, like I said, uh, my junior year, at the end of my junior year, I was a first team all-conference and a preseason all-American for a uh, return specialist. So, yeah, it was, uh, I love doing it. Do you have any coverage in your background? Have you covered punts, covered kickoffs? Uh, no, I haven't. That's the one thing I would throw out there. If you're going to make it primarily as a special team guy, at least that's primarily how you're, how you're viewed, if you want to know how you know, football views you, how professional football views you. Mm-hmm. It's not that you can't play receiver, but to be perfectly honest, the teams that would have interest in you would have interest in you as a special team guy. You need to show you can cover and, and return. Mm-hmm. Because they're going to want you to be on four or more special teams units. You're going to be one of those guys who's a special teams guy primarily, at least early on in your career. Same question for you, Lee. What kind of special teams background do you have? Uh, I play every special teams except for kickoff return. Okay. What did you do on special teams units that you were on? I was on punt, uh, punt return, kickoff, and field goal blocks. That's a good little good little selection. And you've probably heard this before. The person you most want to impress as a late-drafted or undrafted free agent rookie, particularly at things like receiver, backup running back, linebacker, backup tight end, 
and obviously safety, a corner, the, the best friend that you have on the team is the special team coach. Yeah. He loves you. You're likely to be on that team. If he doesn't like you, you've got a close to zero percent to make that team. <laughs> no matter what you can do. I'm not I'm not joking, unfortunately. No matter what you can do as, yeah. a, as a corner or as a wide receiver or whatever, they'll never see it. If the wife, if the special teams coach doesn't save your life on those cut cut rolls around, they turn to the special teams coach and say, "Well, which one of you guys can't you spare? Well, this guy's on four units. I can't spare this guy. You can't cut him. Cut this other guy." So, so let's walk through. I guess this what this last part of this period is going to be like for the two of you. And then, like I said, Darian, I'll, I'll be with you in just a moment. Here's how it usually happens. So, like I said, right after, you know, the end of the draft, even before the end of the draft, that kind of thing, if you get into the, the second half of the seventh round, your phone or your agent's phone or both will start to light up like a Christmas tree. Calls, calls, calls. And like I said, you've got to figure out what makes sense, where's, where it makes sense. And then you get there, you know, and rookie minicamp, is every camp you've been through on steroids. It's faster. It is. It's faster. It's everything you could imagine turned up to 11. Yeah. Right? Because they're trying to get rid of people. I mean, I'm not trying to be mean, but that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to figure out who can't do this. They're not trying to who can, because they figure if you got here, you can. We need to get rid of the guys who can't. So that's what it's about. How much mentally can you handle? Can you handle the pace? They don't spend time explaining anything. They tell you such and such, and you go do it. And, I mean, you should grab someone and say, hey, I didn't quite catch that. I mean, you don't want to be the guy pretending you caught something and understood something they told you if you didn't. But they don't spend a lot of time going back over it. I'll just let you know that much ahead of time. There's not a lot of explaining. And everything goes, just goes, just go. Run everywhere, full speed, all the time. And like I said, Find a way to impress your special teams coach immediately. Somebody, you got to blow somebody up, something. Somebody's got to look bad. So you, I mean, I hate to put it this way, but you got to pick out a victim. This poor guy, somebody has the worst day he's ever had in his life on a football field, so that they're going to notice me. So find your victim and, unfortunately, ruin that young man's chance to play pro football. But guess what? That's how you make it. Somebody yeah. has to die. I hate to put it that way. I mean, just in a football sense, don't kill anybody. But in a football <laughs> sense, because... There's only so much room on the island, young man. There's 1,696 jobs. And they don't empty the league out every year. It's not like everybody who was in the league last year leaves to leave 1,696 jobs for you. No. Most of those guys, about 88% of them are back. About 12% of that 1,296 have retired or, you know, injury or whatever, something about the league. That's not that many jobs. That's, that's totally, you know, about 180-some-odd jobs come open for thousands of thousands of players, right? So the odds are very much against you. I don't care if you're a first-round draft pick from USC or Miami or whatever, the odds are already against you. But if you are a guy who's coming from a smaller school, drafted late or undrafted, the, the odds are double stacked against you. So you do get there. You make great plays special teams. They finally throw you at the number twos and you look great. They finally throw you at the number ones and you look great. Guess what? You still get cut. It happens every year. Now, you've got to be ready for that. I could give you a list of guys in the Hall of Fame who got cut. Johnny Unitas got cut. Lynn Dawson got cut. 
Kurt Warner got cut multiple times. People get cut. This is where we find out just how mentally strong and how badly you want this. Because, if, especially if you're a guy, like I said, you know, from a small school, you're on draft, whatever it is, you're probably going to get cut. Now, the same team yeah. might bring you back. And some teams just cut guys and bring them back, cut guys and bring them back. It's like, what are you doing with me? What are you, you playing with me? What is this? Some teams will cut a guy three or four times to bring it back. Somebody gets hurt, things happen. It's crazy. The bottom part of the depth chart is just constant turnover. Especially if the coach says, I need more speed at this position. So they cut some guy, bring in another guy who's faster who they had last year. Whatever it is, constant churning. Here's the good news. If you really want this, you've prepared as hard as you think you've prepared, and you're willing to go through some craziness. Teams calling you, saying they love you, then cutting you, then bringing you back. It's tough at the bottom of the depth chart. If you're 49, 48, 47, 50, 51, 52, 53 on that depth chart, don't buy rent for the first couple of years of your career. I'm just being honest with you. There's, don't buy rent. Don't, don't, don't try to live like you're on cribs. Live conservatively. You don't know how long this ride's going to last. It takes a while to get established for most of those guys in the league. Yes. But it can happen. So I'm going to take you into the future. Come with me into the future, Mr. Crossy. I'm going to take you about three years in the future. Three years in the future. You finally found your NFL home. After you get practice squatted and brought onto the active roster and cut and picked up and a coach who remembered you from a different team says, hey, this kid was good. We, we had a numbers problem at this other place, but now I'm coaching here. We should call him in, work him out, you know, you try out, you pull back on another team. Remember, it's craziness for three years. And then finally you find an NFL home. Real test of how badly you want it because, you know, you're having to pick up and rent and sublet, sleep on people's couches. Just craziness, crazy stuff. So finally somebody says, yeah, you're our guy. You're going to be number two on the depth chart at both safety spots and nickel. What the heck? Save our safe, we can save some roster spots because you can be a backup at three positions and play a special team. That's how you finally establish yourself. Find a home. And then they like you enough that they're extending you. They're bringing you back. You're getting your second NFL contract. And as hopefully your, you know, people around you, your agent, whoever has told you, this is where your life actually changes, that second contract, contract number with those. This is where you can start living a little bit. You just want to survive yeah. on your first contract. Don't go crazy. Don't start getting a platinum gold, platinum toilet, stuff like that. Don't do that on your first contract. <laughs> just don't do it. Now you can live a little bit on your second contract. If you decide you would like to drive something a little more than a basic vehicle, the second contract, all that stuff. You know, you promise you're going to buy mama a house. Don't buy mama a house on your first contract because you might get cut. Now what's mama going to do? So second contract. Now you can start to live a little bit. And they bring you back onto campus and some of the other guys that, you know, you may have played with that helped to turn, you know, turn the program around, right? This is a program people used to literally laugh at, you know, one win season, no win seasons, two win seasons. To get to a nine win season, you know, if that team is going to be brought back to show, you know, highlights of what you guys did that year. And Lee, when they throw on the tape, when they throw on their show, you, what's the game that you would choose from your career there that explains what you brought to the table as, as your time as a, as a Lobo? What, what is the game that explains Lee Crosby? Uh, it would probably be even uh, my New Mexico State game where oh. 
we was trailing at the time. I forced a forced fumble, which basically changed the whole momentum of the game. Or I could throw in the Hawaii game where at halftime we was down by like, I say ten points, and I basically with my interception that I I had to start the second half, it did the same thing to change the momentum of the game, and then I had a second interception in that game too, where basically sealed the deal for us. Okay. Perfect. So I, same question to. Oh, that's fine. Same question to you. Um, yeah, same question. Final question to you as well. Uh, I'll ask you the same question, Mr. Cornwell. If somebody wanted to find the game, I'm trying to sell you to you know to to my coaching staff. I'm trying to sell you to my front office. I'm a you know I'm a I'm a new scout just been hired by a team, and it's like oh man, I found this kid's tape. I really like it. What's the game I need to pull so that they'll say, okay, we'll bring this kid in for a workout? Um, the game I would choose would be um, my game against uh, Campbell University. You know, I give uh, oh, a first and foremost because of Coach Mike Mentor. He's a play for the Panthers. Yep. He, um, their defense was, was really good. And um, in that game, I ended up um, setting a school record for most catches in the game. I had uh, 14 catches with uh, – 129 yards and um, helped our team win within the last seconds of the game and uh, got the ball down on the one and we ended up running it in. But um, yeah, if you if I had to choose, it would have to be that game because you know against going against a great defense like that and being able to have as many catches and that many yards as I did, it uh you know it helped a lot. Okay. And before you go, uh, please tell people, I'll ask the same question also of you, Lee, but I'll start with you, Mr. Cornwell. If people wanted to learn more about you, wanted to follow your journey, where would they find information about you? Where would they follow you? Um, If you wanted to find a lot about me, just uh, you would follow me on Twitter. You know, add me on Twitter, uh, jcornwall underscore eight. You know, if you wanted to know anything about me, that's pretty much where you would find a lot. And uh, I also wanted to tell you that uh, I just got a coach, uh, text from uh, Coach Woodson, and he told me uh, to tell you what's up and say, go catch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I literally got the, like I said, fights over him. So I'm glad he's doing well. <laughs> People started to tell me I was crazy. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Oh. Well, like I said, good, good times. I have nothing but fond memories of my, my battles with people over here. Uh, that's the one they'll remember. They'll put they'll put, it'll be on my gravestone. This guy had you know Andre Woodson rated as a, a you know top sixteen prospect. That'll be on my gravestone. But uh, excellent, excellent. Same question to you, Lee. If people wanted to find out more about you, follow you, learn about you, see how you navigate the craziness that's going to happen in the next several months of your year of your life, where would they find that information? How would they follow you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter as well. You just type my name in, Lee Crosby, and it just pop right up. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. I want to wish both of you young men nothing but the best. Uh, it's going to be, well, a test, right? A test of your mental and physical strength, a test of your endurance, a test of your belief in yourself. You're going to see up close and personal the greatest athletes maybe the world has produced when you do get into a camp. And... Like I said, you'll see what I mean when I talk about how fast everything moves. And you're going to make mistakes, but make them fast. You know, don't ever make mistakes that come from hanging back or being tentative. Coaches appreciate 
if you're going to mess it up, mess it up big and fast. So I can fix it fast as opposed to kind of hanging back. And uh, I wish you both the best. It's going to be a great, great journey. I believe that if you just hang on and, and fight through it, you'll get to where you're going. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to have me on your show today. Certainly. Uh, you'll get, both of you will get a follow-up email from me most likely tomorrow. If you could respond with answers to the questions I'm sending you and a photograph, I'll be using that to build out a profile for what I call my blue light specials I do every year. And it will simply be about guys who like you, who are going to be maybe late round or undrafted free agent types who I think have a legitimate chance to stick on NFL roster. So once I have that back from you, I'll publish that, and I'll send you a link to to the article once it's up. Okay, that sounds good. Thank you. The pleasure is mine. Pleasure is mine. Darian, I want to thank you so much for your patience, sir. Yes, sir. You still with me, Mr. Wilson? Okay, excellent, excellent. So... So... Tell me a little bit about how you got introduced to the game. When did you first start playing, and where did you first start playing? I started playing football when I was uh, eight years old in uh, Pop Warner. Okay. Okay. And when you first played, what position did you play when you first started? Uh, Defensive tackle, the same position I play now. Oh, wow. Okay. That's interesting. Most of the time, you know, guys start out playing running back and playing you know, quarterback, like whatever, and eventually they outgrow the position or whatever. So you've been you've been in the trenches from the start. Yeah. Okay. Were, were, were you a particularly big kid? Yeah. I mean, I was bigger than – I was bigger than most of the skill positions. So um, I usually always had to play offensive line and defensive line. Okay. So when you line up with the big sexies, right, when you line up in there, obviously there's not as much attention. You know, people don't tend to watch that, those positions, the same way they watch the ball handling positions. What was it that attracted you to playing the game, even though there wasn't a lot of glamour in what it is that you were asked to do? Um, well, I understood football at a young age. And, um, like, my favorite players from when I was younger were – were linemen, so I I was attracted to like guys like Warren Sapp and um, Orlando <laughs> Pace, you know, okay. like Jonathan Ogden, um, just to name a few. Those, those are great names. That, those <laughs> are guys that I like watching when I was younger. Okay. And who are some of the guys that you grew up around or grew up with that also ended up playing? Like who? Obviously, you come from an area that's got a good amount of talent around. Who are some of the guys you ran across when you were growing up? Uh, well, I work out with another um, NFL free agent. His name is Asar Wolcott. Uh, we actually played. We actually started playing football together since uh, Pop Warner, and um, we oh, played wow. high school together. And um, he ended up going to University of Virginia, and then yeah. I ended up taking the junior college route. And then um, we went on our different paths, and then now we're back together working out every day, training together. Okay. And tell me about your high school. Uh, Once again, she said some other legitimate players were there. 
who were your rivals and uh, who were some of the guys you ran across in high school who were good players? Uh, high school, our rival was Teaneck High School. That's the alma mater of Tamba Ali. Mm-hmm. You know, guys we ran across when I was playing was like uh, Justin Tractel from Don Bosco. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Chris Sims from Don Bosco. Um, who else do we have? Uh, Evan Rodriguez from North Bergen. Um, there's a bunch of guys in this area. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a talent-rich right, talent part of the country. What is it about your particular part of New Jersey that you think makes it produce so many players? Uh, New Jersey is really known for the athletes, so we have a lot of athletes who play three different sports and are pretty much anywhere from all county and above athletes in three different sports from fall, winter, and spring sports. And then usually end up picking one sport coming out of high school and just taking off with that sport in college because they usually get an option. Got it. And when did you crack the starting lineup? How long did it take you to get to the point where you were actually playing once you got to high school? Oh, well, in high school, I was – in high school, freshman year, freshman and sophomore year, I actually didn't even play football. Uh, um, I was, like, fed up with football. I didn't really honestly think I was going to play. And um, I was getting ready to um, get get kicked out of school, and the football coach was like, I mean, I'll keep you in school, but you got to come out and play football for me. And then I was just like, yeah. And then my mom was also like, I mean, you better play. So um, I ended up playing football my junior and senior year. And then I started – my first game I ever started was against a guy from Plainfield named Steven Johnson. He was like a defensive end. He was ranked in the state. And then the next next game was against Justin Tractel. He was like the number one defensive end in the state. He was committed to Florida. Yeah. So that was your welcome to high school football, those two back to back? Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about the experience. What was it like playing against big time uh, guys right away? It was um at the begin. I mean, I was I was good in football. I mean, at a at a um junior junior league and pop Warner, I won like many awards and stuff. So it wasn't like I always had the fundamentals and everything down. I always had the talent. I just um. I just didn't – I was fed up with football my freshman and sophomore year, so I didn't even want to play. So it, was, it wasn't it um, was a problem for me to transition from uh, not playing to going back to playing football once again. And um, the experience was great. I mean, I, um, after after I played against Justin Tratel, I was in the paper. I was on, like, the spotlight for our next home game. So I'm I'm guessing I did good. I I don't think they would put me in the paper if I didn't do good against them the next the following week. That's that is pretty good. Now you said twice. 
that you've gotten fed up with the game. What was it that led to you to sort of fall out of love, and then what brought you back, other than, you know, not getting kicked out of school, but what caused you to fall out of love with the game, and how did you refine your love? Um, I think kids are, mis- are misguided with um, with the results instead of the work, and that and that and that was a problem for me. I thought that um, you just playing the games and you're just good, and that and that and that comes with uh, immaturity and being young and not really being taught that. I mean, the best guys in the world. They work out every single day. They put in their work, and they prepare throughout the week. And then game day, Saturday or Sunday, being college or professional, that's when they show their they showcase their preparation. Yeah, I guess that's an important lesson uh, because you know the world, the outside world, only sees the games. They don't realize how many nights of film and how many hours of weightlifting and stretching and sitting in an ice tub while you lose feeling in most of your body and all the other things that go on just so you can get on that field and play for three, three and a half hours. Exactly. So you're rediscovering your love for the game. Who was, I mean, as you mentioned, your head coach, was it, were there any other coaches that had an impact on helping you to, to find the game, to get back to the game? Uh yes, Coach um, James Montesano. Um, he played at Hofstra, and uh, Coach Dave Bachella, and he played at Brown University, and also Coach Gordon Whiten. He played at um, NC State and uh, Wagner. Yeah. Okay. And when did you first start to hear things from schools in terms of being recruited to play at the next level? Uh, my first my first year back that actual summer, my junior year, I ended up going to uh University of Maryland. Uh I think it was a three or four day camp and um I was getting recruited by Coach Salazzo under the Coach Region Yeah the Coach Region coaching staff. Yeah. And yeah. um James Franklin was on was, that staff. Yeah. And I also was being recruited by North Carolina Central at that time. I got it. So you so once the process began, what things helped you to navigate? How did you figure out the process of where you wanted to continue your education and of course your playing career? Well, at that point, another another being misguided in another aspect was grades. So Aha. Uh-huh. I didn't I so didn't tell, understand Tell me about that. that. Yeah, I didn't understand yeah, so, that you didn't you couldn't be just good and just get into school. You had to have some type of grades. And that yeah, um right. that kind of stripped me up a little bit, so I I ended up going to junior college. Okay. So tell me about how you figured that situation, because obviously there's a lot of junior colleges, and they're not all, they're not all the same academically, and obviously not all the same in terms of you know, how their football program runs. How did you figure out where a good fit would be for you in terms of your junior college? So I ended up getting recruited by Coach 
Coach Napchak. He actually played with the 85 Chicago Bears. Mm-hmm. Um, he was um, he was coaching at Dean College, and um, he had, he had called me and recruited me. He said, um, "Yeah, come up to Dean College. It's in it's about I think like an hour away from Boston. It was a it was actually a beautiful campus to be a junior college." And um, he just said, "Come up here. We'll get you into school. We'll take care of you." And that's where I ended up deciding to go. And that is the Northeast Football Conference of yep. the, the NJCIAA. Okay. And tell me about the coaching staff. Uh, what things did they teach you? How did you change your game from the way you played in high school? Um, the head coach was Coach Basie. He was he was more of a um, he was he was actually an excellent head coach. We 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 ended up winning um we ended up winning the conference that year. We had a couple guys go, and my position coach was Coach Runner. He um he taught me that he taught me a lot of hands and feet type of thing. That if I wanted to be good, that my hands and my feet had to correlate with each other, and it had to be more finesse than power, or speed to power type of thing. That's when I started to understand, to get in depth with actually the guys I was watching, actually what they were doing, instead of just making the play, what's going on before they're making the play. Yeah, that's I think the thing that most people don't understand is how many things have to happen, have to go right, have to fall into place for this guy to make this play. We see a guy shoot a gap and boom, make a tackle him in the backfield. We go, oh, wow, that guy's really talented, which is true. He's really talented. But we realize somebody had to attack the proper shoulder or attack the proper hip or shift, right? Actually, sometimes he'll go from being in four-eye technique to, you know, move slightly over to, you know, you might move over to three or move out to five or whatever, right before the snap, right? So now you're hitting a guy differently than you thought he was going to hit you or you've maybe a double team that was going to come at you now can't because you're too far away. I mean, there's all kinds of things that have to happen for that guy to make that one play that we thought just happened because he was so quick or so whatever, which is true. I mean, he is quick, he's powerful, whatever, but everything has to go right for things to work. So you mentioned your hands and feet, and I thought I'm so glad you brought that up because a lot of people don't realize how much technique because you can't see it. You're not, you're not playing wide receiver or whatever where people can see everything you do. When you're talking about marrying up what your hands and feet are doing, for people who have never played, and I've never played in the interior, I was a smaller guy, explain it to people who have never done it before. What do you have to do if you're having to shed a guy or having to, you know, split a double team, whatever you're having to do, how do you have to use your hands and feet together to be able to play effectively? Well, um, basically, your hands and feet, it's all about angles down there because you don't have much space. So you have to take the proper angles and use your hands in the proper, in the proper techniques without sacrificing the integrity of the defense to make plays in the cusp of what the defensive coordinator has set out in the playbook for you to do. So you can do your job 
you can do your job the right way, or you can do it, or you can make plays. But most teams don't care about people making plays unless they're doing the right techniques. Well put. That's a that's a coach's T-shirt right there. <laughs> okay, so. Where have you been lined up in your career? I mean, obviously you said you played defensive tackle pretty much your entire football life, but even playing defensive tackle is different depending upon the defense you run and things like that. Where have they actually, you know, have you always been, you know, head up on the center? Have you ever, do you also play, um, you know, over the guard? Do you play inside? I mean, where, where did they actually put you? Okay, I played techniques from the one to the close four. So I played Anywhere from zero to the one to the two, two I, three, oh. and close four. Got it. So, yes. And once again, for people who don't know what that means, you're talking about shading in some cases or being head up on someone, whether it be a guard, center, and, and you know, when you get out to, to the four, you're almost getting out to where the tackles are. Tell people about how things change for you when you're aligning these different places. Well, um, Starting from the zero, that is the heart of the defense right there. That's the yep. nose guard. Um, he pretty much control. He controls the line of scrimmage, and if he doesn't, then the defense isn't going to work. Um, and that even goes for lining up in the shade. Any any way you're lining up from a zero to a shade to a one to a three, that controls the defense. Because if you lose your gap integrity then the defense isn't going to work. You create in lanes and gaps for the running back, quarterback to run through. And um, once you give up the middle of the defense, pretty much game over. <laughs> right. It's funny. They were talking about a, um, a playoff um, overtime game that Mike Vick, they were running well against Michael Vick. And everyone's watching Mike Vick, but I was watching – what the as you mentioned the the nose shade was doing, and it's obvious he's been watching a lot of Michael Vick on tape and was super excited about the idea of you know sacking Michael Vick, and unfortunately in his excitement he moved probably a foot foot and a half further than he should have, you know out of his position, and you know I don't know if you ever saw Mike Vick on tape, but he didn't need a lot of space, and that was it. He just ran straight up the field for about 79 yards to put, you know, and, this, and then ran off the field. He literally ran off, <laughs> tossed the ball to the ref and went up the tunnel because that's overtime. That's it. You know, everyone can go home. Uh, yeah. And it, it happened. Okay, Mike Vick is a special, special athlete, once-in-a-lifetime athlete. But as you just said, it's a, it's a foot, a foot and a half, six inches, seven inches, wrong shoulder, you know, little things like that, boom. And now, you know, Mike Vick's, you know, headlines, newspaper, but what they don't say is, man, if this guy had stayed a little further to this chain, this gap, he puts his arm on Michael Vick, and Sleep slows him up, he doesn't stop him, and it's a two-yard gain, it's a 79-yard gain, and we're on the third down, as opposed to everybody goes home. Exactly. It's an intricate little game that you guys play. Uh, like I said, I, I was always a, you know, I played far away from the middle of the field like you guys. I was out there, you know, playing DB, but uh, I admired what you guys do because it's hard, man. You got 600 pounds of dudes you're fighting sometimes. That's that can't be any fun. But what is it that attracts you to playing in a place where almost no one can see you and you're almost constantly dealing with multiple people? 
the um I'm I'm more attracted to like the blue collar deal. I like coming in every day, knowing I can get better each and every day. And um, it's 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 more fun than than the looks. It, it may not look <laughs> that much fun, but it, it's actually really fun. But if you're not, how do you put that? It's more fun than it looks. I like it. If you're if you're focusing on the physical aspect, then I mean your your mental is going to crush your mental, and then you're not even going to like it. So mentally, right. you have to be prepared for what's going to be thrown at you before you can enjoy the physical part. With what you've seen now, it's hard to believe that you almost stopped playing the game altogether. It's hard to believe that because I can tell how much you love it now. Yeah. What do you think changed for you from a guy who stopped playing to a guy who clearly has, like, a fire in his heart for this game? What's what's that switch for you? Um, What changed for me was um, maturity, just Mm. uh, really researching and – Looking up what guys do, like, because once you um once you get to a certain level, I mean nobody's gonna nobody's gonna really tell you what guys do, and they're not gonna tell you the work that they put in. You you have to go, you have to research that and look that stuff up for yourself, because um that that's what that's what makes everybody good. That's what separates average from good and good from great and great from Hall of Fame is mm-hmm. his work ethic. So the top, the best guys who ever played the game were the hardest workers, aside from the other freakish guys who just roll out of bed and run 4-3 or jump 45-inch verticals. Aside from them, mo- most of the guys are, are work ethic guys. They do a lot sure. of stuff on their own. Well, even the freaks, even the the Randy Mosses and the you know whoever's my name, Julius Peppers, and all those guys who clearly were gifted by God to do things that normal people cannot. Trust me, those guys are still waking up early, working hard. You just you just don't see what you, know, you don't see it as you said. You know that, and and the other thing is that just to get to that point, you know, you don't see how many how much film. You, you can't see how much film a guy has stayed. You can't. You can kind of see a guy's body and see who's been in the weight room and who's been eating right and things like that. But you can't see who's been calling their old coaches going back to high school or college and saying, you know, how did I look? What did you see me do? Guys do that. Guys will call their high school coach, their college coaches, who are sometimes in a different place altogether, and say, hey, you know, I'm having trouble with this or what did you think of that? Because they're critical. I mean, J.J. Watt's enormously critical of himself. As great as he is, he's always finding the thing he messed up. Oh, I can't believe I did that. How did I do that? He's always taking this game apart constantly. Exactly. And, of course, he's been rehabbing, you know, so he's a guy that works hard normally, but with getting hurt, he's worked even harder than normal because he's J.J. Watt. He's crazy. So tell me about your process once you got to junior college of, figuring out where you were going to go after junior college. How did that process work for you to find your, your four-year school? Okay, so, well, um, I ended up 
I ended up not doing so well at uh, Dean College academically, so I um I ended up moving on to um, Lackawanna College under uh, Coach Duda, and um, once I went there, um, and I, I ended up not even getting it getting the picture there either, and then I went to um, ASA College, and that was under um, Coach. Uh, Coach Orlando, and um, that was when I, that's when, like, everything clicked and everything worked out with timing, and um, my first visit was with Virginia Union uh, University in uh, Richmond, Virginia, and I also had um, a visit set up with Lincoln and Virginia State before, no, that, that was after I I had committed to um, Elizabeth City State. So basically, I had a visit with Virginia Union. Elizabeth City called me right after I came back from Virginia Union's three-day visit, and I had Lincoln and V-State set up after Elizabeth City, and then I I ended up falling in love with Elizabeth City's coaching staff and uh, the campus, and that was under Coach uh, Tiller and the coach that recruited me was Coach Alan Parker and Coach uh, Marcus Hilliard. So you're down in beautiful Elizabeth City in the northeastern seaboard of North Carolina. You probably been there before. I'm guessing before you committed there. Did you get a chance to visit? Yeah, I took my visit there. I actually committed on my on the last day of my visit, I verbally committed. Okay. And what was it about that coaching staff and that school that won you over? Um, it, it it felt it felt like it was the perfect decision for me, the perfect place for me to go in regards to um the coaches giving me the opportunity to come in like be the leader and start off I was the number one recruit that year at a junior college. That was the 2013 um, recruiting class. Um, the coaching staff was, like, ready to work work with me. And um, that that's, like, the main thing that, that got me was the coaching staff was ready to work with me. I mean, if you get a coaching – if you get, like, an entire coaching staff that's ready to work with you, I mean – that that that's gonna sell you right there. Okay. And you mentioned that a couple of times you had academics interfere with you accomplishing the goals that you set. Did you finally get your academics ham- hammered out at that point, Darian? Yeah, I had I had to. So basically when I um I had academic issues at Dean in Lackawanna, I had to um I had to get it right at ASA. Because um, I was I was supposed to go Division One out of ASA, but um, I didn't have the grades, and then my clock ran out. My uh, Division One clock ran out because I went to so many right. schools, and um, so I ended up I ended up just deciding just to go Division Two because I felt like two years was better than going to Division One and playing one year. Yep, um, <laughs> two years is more than one. You've got the yeah. math right. <laughs> I felt like it was a better decision for me. 
So I ended up just doing that. And um, yeah, it worked out perfectly. And here's what people don't understand about transferring. I think, unless you've done it, I don't think people realize how many credits you can lose and all the complications. Did you end up, when it was all said and done, are you now, you know, at, you know, credit-wise, a place where you can graduate, or what eventually happened with your academics with all the moving around? Well, um, pretty much you don't transfer anything unless unless that school has your specific major that you're um, going into. You'll only transfer, like, in certain classes. Like, a lot of schools are, like, picky with what they take and they they don't like just they're not going to just take any classes and like give you credit for taking that class or they're not going right. to give you like substitute credit for taking this class like it's kind of like ridiculous how it is like it's once you go challenging. To school, like I said, people don't realize how hard it is to 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 get that stuff so so did you eventually get to I mean, where are you now academically like where are you academically why are you at least Graduating senior? Do you film another year? What's going on with your academics now? Oh well, I graduated from college. Uh, was that May May fourteenth? I graduated cum laude. Actually, I ended up getting my act together with my grades, and uh, I actually learned the aspect of a student athlete, and um, realized that I was tired of being. I was tired of being ineligible. I was tired of having grades hold me back. So I was just like, let's just uh, buckle down and, like, be an actual scholar with both <laughs> football and and uh, academics. Well, let me just say, I think that's maybe the most impressive part of your story and your journey is going from a guy who couldn't get his business handled in the classroom to a guy that graduates with honors. Well done, and you should be very proud of yourself. Thank you, sir. Certainly. And your degree is in what? What did you end up finally, finally uh, getting your degree in? Sports management. Sports management, okay. So at some point you'd like to work in the front office, or what do you want to do with that? Yeah, I, I want to stay with sports for, like, my entire life. I think it's, like, one of the best <laughs> businesses out there. Yeah. It's it's if you're a competitor and it's pretty good that you are, it gives you a chance to continue to compete even after your body says, you know, okay, no more of this, because football is not a lifetime sport. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's the one thing wrong with it. It's not like golf or tennis or, you know, even basketball to some extent. You can't when you're 60. I mean, you can play, you know, touch or whatever, but you can't play tackle football when you're 50 or 60. Or that. You know, your body's like, nope, you you got. Ten more years, maybe, to do this, if you're lucky. Uh, so you better have something else lined up. Okay, perfect. Now, take me through those last two years. You finally found your home. Beautiful is the State University. Take me through the process of, as you said, becoming a leader there, and wh- how did they play you? What did they ask you to do in their defensive system? Well, um, I was, I was basically the leader. I was the leader of the defense. Uh, 
me and another another uh, linebacker. Um, but I had to control the line of scrimmage, and he had to control the second level. And um, I was asked to dominate at a high level. And um, if you look at my numbers and my accolades, I feel like I did exactly what I went there for and what they asked me to do. And in your career, your your time at that was the city. Who do you say were the best players you ever played with or against? The guys that were in your mind the most impressive. Oh, uh, the guys that I played with: um, Stephen Williams, middle linebacker; uh, Malik Wright, defensive back; uh, Nigel Rios, defensive back. Um. Against, I would say, uh, running back from Virginia State, Trent Cannon. Mm, yeah, he's good. Damn, man, there's a lot of guys down. There's a lot of guys. Down. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, you have to name all of them. Just some of the guys that really stood on your mind. Uh, Phil, Phil Sims from uh, Winston-Salem. Um. Um, give you like another guy who I can't seem to remember. Um, there's a receiver from Bowie State. Uh, I think his name is like Nyam Nyam Man yes. or something. Like that. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah, I he's, about. yeah he's a monster. Yeah, yeah, he's got some talent. And how, tell me about how they used you in terms of the scheme. As you mentioned, they, you get moved around. What do they ask you to do in the defense that's, in which you played at Olympic uh, City? I was asked to play. I was asked to play anything from the zero to the three. Um, that, wherever, wherever. Um, but I, but I, I like. I'm a competitor, so I love the challenge. I always wanted to play against the best guys, or where the higher percentage of the coach like to run the ball. Um, or what he like, whatever, whatever the offensive coordinator like to do, I would, lo- I would love to like line up there and take on that challenge. Okay. And you went from being a guy who maybe didn't always, you said, you know, have. You could always play, but you didn't always have your whole heart and soul in the game at one point. And then you clearly flipped the switch that we talked about. And you became a real student of the game. Tell me about a film study play, a play that you made because of something you spotted on tape, something that put you in the right position or tipped you off to what was coming and allowed you to be effective. Well, that that's my game, film. I mean, I, I love being prepared. Uh, sometimes I feel like I try to over over-prepare so I know a little bit too much. It, it always helps you out if you know a little bit more than you're supposed to. It's never going to hurt you. Um, most of the plays I made were predicated off film study, and that and that's from, like, all 20 games throughout my career that I played in. I always love to um, look up percentages. Like, you can ask any of my coaches. I love numbers. Uh, I yeah. love to love to find out. A higher percentage of what 
coaches run on third third down or second and long and things like that. I like to take away the the stuff that you like to do from the beginning. <laughs> so you have to go in halftime and switch it up. And then by then, it's already too late because I'm already going. So I'm already okay. I'm already know what you like to do. So give me a particular play, like a I don't know, it could be a goal line play, it could be any play, it could be an important play, a play that you're proud of that came out of that film study. That uh, as you said, knowing what they like to do on third and eight, or knowing what they like to do, you know, in goal line situations where they're about to score, whatever it is. Give me an example of a play that's clearly because of a tendency or something you spotted in a formation or an alignment that allowed you to, to make that play because of what you recognize. Okay. Um, against Virginia State, they um, came out in a double tight set. Uh, it was, I think it was like a minute, not even a minute left in the game, probably like around like 50 seconds. It was fourth and one. And uh, it were, they were playing field position. They, uh, they weren't having a good kicking day from their kicker, and they uh, decided to go for it on fourth and one. They mm-hmm. came out in a double tight set, which they always do, and uh, they ran like a zone left. And I knew I knew it was coming because uh, that was their that was their strong side of their line. They loved running behind their left side, and um, I re- I read the play from the gate. I jumped it. And um, I made the TFL and uh, turnover on downs. We got the ball. We didn't score, but it was a good play. Got it. And I'm going to get you now to your final season, right? You're going into your last season, your last go-round, at least as a collegiate player. You've, you said, you know, had some interesting challenges, some of them, things you bought on yourself, some of the things that may not have been your fault, but either way, you fought through a lot to get to where you are. Academically, personally, football challenges, every kind of challenge, you managed to face them all. And now you go into that last season. Tell me some of the goals you set for yourself, things you wanted to accomplish in your last year as a college player. Uh, The goals I had going into my senior year were uh, being a Division two All American, not not just a HBCU All American. Um, I wanted to make All Conference, and uh, I wanted to play on the next level. And um, I did. I checked all three of those boxes. Okay, those are good boxes to check, my friend. And in terms of the actual factuals on your height and weight, I was your big your big boy. Uh, what is your current height and weight? Right now, six two and a half, three twenty. And that's what people love is you're quick enough to play the three, and even you know I stepped out to sort of a four situation as well because you your hand usage and length is decent enough to do it, but you're big enough that if somebody wanted to play you as a true nose, you can you can go in there and fight double teams. Exactly. That's that's exciting. There's not too many guys like you in this draft, quite frankly. Uh, there's there's a lot of three techniques, and you know guys who might even kick out to five in this class. A lot of guys with links. A lot of guys who are good athletes. 
but there's not too many guys built like you. There's not too many 23 and 33 and 40 pounders in this class. So that's a good thing. <laughs> that's a good thing for you. Not just not not a bunch of Vince Wilforks in this class. Exactly. So let's go through this last season. When did you first start to hear? As you said, you got postseason accolades. When did you first start to hear that you might get a chance to play in some All Star games, things like that, after the season? Um, actually, I knew I was playing in All Star games from from the summertime, like even before training camp. I was like locked into the uh, to the Dream Bowl and um, so like in the middle of the season, around like I would say like week four or five. I started locking into the um the FCS bowl. Um and then uh the the FCS senior scout bowl in Merce Beach. Uh I was locked into that also in the summer with the Dream Bowl. Um I would have liked to play in the uh the CGS, the College Gridiron Showcase. I think I should have played in that game or that showcase. Um but I, I went ahead and played in the uh, in the Dream Bowl. I also wanted to play. I was invited to the Tropical Bowl. I should have played in that one too, but um, I was uh, locked into another game. So I had like a lot. Right. I had a lot of choices. Yeah, a lot of opportunities. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I don't think people realize how challenging it is to figure out the logistics and travel and the money and the time. I think people just think, oh, you know, like, it's like being invited to a party, you know, <laughs> where he just yeah. goes to the invitation and say, oh, yeah, I'm going to go. Oh, you'll see me at seven. It's not that way. A lot yeah, of us figure it out. No, I know you do. But you got to figure out workouts, schedules, and, I mean, a lot has to happen to get you to. So tell me about the experiences you did have in terms of your all-star games and what did you learn and things like that from those experiences. Um. From those experience, um, it kind of propelled you for the for the NFL because of um, now you're playing with the best guys in college football from uh, the FCS level to D2, even some uh, FBS schools. Um, the fast, the faster pace, the better competition that you're gonna go against. I mean, of course, nobody's out there playing like a veteran, but um, you're you're getting the cusp of the best guys in the nation in college football, and um, the speed of the game changes because the competition right. is better. Right. And did you get a chance to meet with any scouts, or did anybody have any conversations with you about what they saw? Yeah, the team that ended up picking me up, which was the Jets, I spoke to them at the Dream Bowl. Excellent. And what kind of things that they have to say? Like, they, what do they say they liked and what are the things they still want you to work on? What kind of things? That, usually a team says, we like this or this. We'd love to see you do X. Or can you get better at this? Or did you do this before in college? What kind of things do they want to know about you? Um, it was um, basically, I feel like the Jets, they, they, give out, they give out a lot of opportunities to small school guys. So um, I feel like they liked the, the numbers that I put up. 
in um in school and then also like the story that I had as far mm-hmm. as like the journeyman type of deal. I feel like a lot of uh, teams like the Jets are attracted to uh, stories like that. The way to put it, I think people underestimate the power of the story. <laughs> You're not a guy that, you know, had everything just line up perfectly and all you had to do was not mess it up. In fact, you kind of did mess it up, as you pointed out. And then you had to, you know, figure out how to get back out of that, that mess, and you did. You know, so that's the thing I think is most impressive. So one of the things that I think will help you on this last page So that's sort of coming into, I guess, the final phase, the last question or two I'll ask. When you look at the NFL, who do you see? Who you say, you know, I'm here not the same as you, but who you said you watch a lot of guys. Who are the guys you watch and why? Who do you learn from? Who do you steal from? Whatever term you want to use. And who do you think you can become in terms of the kind of player you can be? Oh. Uh. My favorite, my favorite defensive lineman is JJ Watt. Uh, I actually like, actually, uh, starting to really like Leonard Williams a lot. Um, There's a good guy to watch too. Yeah, there's a couple of good, good choices. But those guys are like, those guys are like Hercules. Like those guys are like, they're like, we don't have the same body type at all. But, no, um, they're not. Bob, You're a little different body type. <laughs> the guy who I would uh, predicate my game around is Gino Atkins. Ooh. Oh, you're missing guys I love. I had Gino on the show many, many years ago. And people forget how much doubt there was because Gino was 288 yeah. at the combine. And, and so there are teams short. that – yep, and he was short. Right, so he's there are teams that, you know – he had amazing tape. Um, he was killing people at Georgia. But people took him, you know, their teams put with fifth and sixth round grades on him because of his size, which I thought was crazy. It's like, are you kidding me? Put on the tape. I said, this is this is a guy who tends to be the second John Randall, who was an undrafted free agent, which is crazy too. But once again, John Randall was a small school guy. I don't know if you've ever watched John Randall's tape. He, he might be the greatest three technique ever. Ever. That's crazy. He might be the greatest ever. <laughs> Him, him and Warren Sapp, those those are like my guys. Those are, those are good guys to watch. <laughs> and Sapp was, despite the fact that he doesn't look like a great athlete, he was a great athlete. Tremendously flexible and agile. He, you know, he, he didn't look like, you know, like I said, you know how he looked. But when you actually saw his hips and feet, you would have thought he's a 250 pounder, 240 pounder, the way he could flip his hips and, oh, so agile. For Randall, who was even smaller than Sapp, under quote unquote undersized, two hundred ninety one pounds, uh, you know, which is only undersized for due to tackle, but it's undersized for the NFL. But his hands, the quickness, the yeah. violence, the accuracy. Oh, I mean, he was it was like a kung fu master with his hands. Oh my God, what he could do with his hands. And then, and then, uh, uh, Aaron Donald reminds me of him so much. <laughs> Like crazy. Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh God. Yes. That that kid's gonna be. I think it's. I mean, I hate to say Hall of Fame for someone who's so young, but yeah, you can I think. Him up. <laughs> short of short of 
short of some sort of career-ending injury, I think he's headed to the Hall. God, yeah. he's so good and violent and powerful. Uh, that's a good good choices, man. You you like you like a lot of the same guys. So, where are you working out now, and what are you working on to get yourself ready for your next opportunity? Uh, I'm lifting and uh, doing all my training with um, K Strength. Um, it's in Fairfield, New Jersey. I do my um, position drills with uh, Pro Edge. Uh, with Coach Javon Parker. He actually played in the NFL for about five years. Um, and uh, I do a lot of other, like, things on my own. At a, It's called the Hackensack uh, University Medical Center, but it's powered by, like, mm-hmm. the New York Giants. Oh, okay. Let's do a quick little roll call. Uh, who else is with me? I think I might have Ken with me, so that's fine. Do I have anyone else with me? Thought I might have one of the one of the prospects. Okay. Sure. Might just be listening. That's fine. Listeners are cool. I like listeners. So you are going to get another chance. Partially because, I mean, three two zero, three hundred twenty pounders are no longer common. You can't just shake a tree and have them fall out. Uh what Bill Parcells called the planet theory. There's only so many people like you on the planet. So you're going to get another shot. You're gonna get shots, plural, because the one thing as the game has evolved to more spread and more spread and more spread, it's harder to find guys like you. So you can find 300-pounders, but if you're in 25, if you're in 30, those guys are harder and harder to find. If you're in 40, almost impossible to find. You know, there's like two or three 340-plus-pound guys who are legitimate prospects in the entire country, and I had one of them on earlier, a kid named Rashad Tower from ODU, who was a big, raw giant of a player who I think is, if it goes to the right situation, could be, he could be special. There's a kid down at McNeese State who named Isaiah Gold that nobody's talking about for some reason. I don't get it. But he's 337 pounds and explosive and raw, too. Once again, um, I think the way the game has changed, they don't teach tackles the way they used to, but whatever. He's good. And once again, this needs the right situation. You and look at that kid, uh, the kid from Ole Miss, but it's hard to find 330, 320, 340 pounds. You can find 300 pounds all day long. But 330, 325, 340 is getting harder and harder to find. So that helps because there are teams that still need that. What yeah. I'll say to you is if you continue to work as hard as you're working and somebody brings you in and you do the things you're capable of doing, they're not going to let you leave without signing you to a contract. Um, I think that the next shot you get, you're going to show somebody exactly what all you have. And I think you understand now what teams look for, having sort of been through it a little bit. Does that make more sense? Yeah, I mean, I have a, I have some workouts set up, but um, mm, uh, I'm not allowed to. Uh, no, 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 don't, 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 don't say anything you're not supposed to say. <laughs> yeah. Here's what I will ask you to do. I'm going to email you later, and then afterwards, not before, you know, tell me about where it was and how it went, things like that. Not ahead. No, you did the right. You've been taught well. So don't, don't run in your mouth about what's coming up. Tell me later when it happened, what it happened, how it happened. So for people who want to follow you, learn more about you, watch your journey through this incredibly cru- crucial part of your career, how would they keep up with you? How could they learn more about you? Uh, they can follow me on any social media uh, at Darren Wilson, D-A-R-R-E-N dot, Wilson.72. 
Yeah. So you're on all of them. You're all social yeah, media. You're everywhere. <laughs> Got it. Well, you're going to get an email from me tomorrow. And what I'll just need back from you is answers to the questions I'm sending you and then a photograph that I can run when I build out your profile. So I write for both NFL Draft Bible and Nuts and Bolts. And depending upon, it'll either be on, I'll let you know which one. It'll be on Nuts and Bolts or, or uh, NFL Draft Bible. But it'll just tell people more about you, how to find you, how to follow you. And then more importantly, you'll answer to the questions, some of which are similar or almost the same as some things that we've discussed. Some of them will be new. And when you get... When you get that email from me tomorrow morning, probably tomorrow morning, or tomorrow afternoon, probably tomorrow morning, though, just respond as soon as you can. And once again, I wish you the best. You have what it takes. You know it. It just needs the right opportunity, and you need to, you know, you'll kill it. I'm convinced you will. I'm convinced you know what they want, and I think you're going to give it to them. Thank you, Mr. Kyle. appreciate your time, man. Oh, the pleasure is mine. And, yes, um, I, I went to Norfolk State. I'm very familiar with, with uh, the program that you were in and it's a program I think it's on the rise. So I think we'll see more guys coming out of, out of the city going in the future as well. I think that program, not to say it was a bad program before, but I don't think they fully capitalized on some of their opportunities that they're now capitalizing. That's a talent rich area between the tidewater and Northeast North Carolina. You can put together. And of course, you know, you're coming from where you're coming from, but just that area alone without, you know, when you throw in junior college kids and kids from farther up the seaboard, that should be a much better program in the near future. So I'll be watching that program with great interest. All and right, thank once you, again, I wish you all the best. I want to thank you, Darian. I want to thank, of course, um, Mr. Conwell, Juke, as he's now known, who joined us, and very much Lee Crosby. Those who have not watched Lee Crosby on tape, he is, I think, one of the most underrated safety prospects. He can play strong or free in this entire draft class. Check him out if you haven't. He's big, he's strong, he's fast. He's a guy who was mad that he did 24 reps. Mad that he did 24 reps as a safety. Said he's done 29 in previous reps. That's just nuts. <laughs> I don't know how best to say it. Crazy. He's got everything you look for. And once again, uh, special teams will probably be initially how he makes his living, but I could see him being a, a starter down the road. I thank all you young men. I wish you all nothing but success in your journey. I thank you for your time. I thank you for your talent. Thank you for your attention. Have nothing but success going forward. Thank you. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.